Welcome to the Blackout Show, presented by the Guillen Grid, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts. the show a little bit sad because my man the legend the longest tenured white Sox, is no longer wearing a white Sox uniform this is news first time since 2013 my man my friend yes he is my friend probably hit the biggest home run in the last 10 years in white Sox history oh my god hey you gotta give him hey he's gonna be playing the jumbotron many times unless guys change history larry garcia is no longer a chicago white Sox. Again, a big, big, big mixed bag of emotions, but a lot of White Sox fans happy on Twitter. I wanted to get your guys' take before I chimed in and, you know, obviously gave my two cents on this and keeping it real. Uh, go ahead, Gonzo. Yeah, you know, I mean, for me, um, you're going to miss that type of player, that type of utility guy. Well, I guess Tony wouldn't call me utility player, but at the end of the day, that's what he was. Uh, but a really good role player. Um, guy that did come up when we need him, when guys went down with injury, need the guy out there to put those innings in and uh, keep that pace of play and show those new guys how you know to play the game. Ultimately, did I believe he really did that? Um, it's grand 2021. You won a division, so yes, you can say he did. And really, ultimately, he had a really clutch home run and really gave me hope for them in that series to go past just one winning game in that uh, postseason. But at the end of the day, I think it's just that time where we're moving on. Um, he, in my opinion, you really shouldn't have been here in, going into 2019. But what? The, oh, fact that, the fact that he was here and Hanit gave him that hope to keep him here during you know, that parade moment that he said that we were going to have um, – I don't think that's a guy that gives you that depth for a championship roster, but I don't want to take anything away from him. Um, I really hope that wherever he ends up, he does step up and continue his play from there. Um, you know, that's not anything to discredit him or They're too late now. <laughs> you know what? Gonzo is like, I divorced her. She was awesome. Great person, but I still divorced her. Gonzo's like, I, I was in this marriage five years too long, but it was still great. There was, there was still flashes of greatness, but I was in it five years too long. And this I is absolutely that. insane. I mean, to me, he's just another, you know, like Carlos Sanchez. Like, that's the type of what? player. Wow. That's okay. the type of player I see in him. Um, and that was great for the rebuilding years, you know, but 
if we, where we want this team to be with the expectations we have of them, with how high those ex- expectations are, I need better players as depth. And it's yet to be seen if we do have that depth that we're replacing him with, um, like guys like Colas, uh, Sheets, and Berger, and that bench that we're going to have. You can argue with their their talent, their skill level, your leadership that you want to have with those guys. You can argue that. But for me, um, I think it's been time a while ago, but um, we had to face that moment, and now we're facing it. So we'll see. This is absolutely unreal, Gonzo. I thought you was going to have some words of respect for Leary, the fucking legend, and you go and you put the plastic bag over his head and you take him out back. What is wrong with you? He is the replacer, Gonzo. Don't you understand? He is the insurance policy of the Chicago White Sox, and he was very underappreciated here. Don't get me wrong. I think Leary played too many regular season games a year in a White Sox uniform, but he can't control that his the, the guys that are first in line getting hurt. He could play every position. He was always available. How many White Sox players can you say outside of Yoan Moncada that's always available? It's I think short list. No, I, I, I'm, I'm with, with Jay on this one. You know, I think that when they were rebuilding, there was that one season where you thought that they would move away from Larry and was it a good move or not? Obviously, it allowed him to have that year and then obviously get him get paid. But he was a solution that was needed because he was like a super utility guy because a lot of the White Sox players got hurt and he was able to provide for many years. Again, what made him great also exposed him uh, at the end and made him have that horrible year last year, which again, everyone kind of blamed them for it, but it was a disaster all around. I think that the risk, it, it's a, it's a risk worth the reward. I think the White Sox are in a position right now where it went so bad that you really, it, it couldn't get worse for them. And if they were going to make the move right now, they wanted to go younger. They wanted to really see the talent that is theirs. Is Larry Garcia going to be here, was going to be here three years from now and playing a, pr- a prime position? Probably not. Um, could another guy in a roster give you that? Absolutely. I think Sheets, Berger, uh, Colas, um, e- even uh, the guys that are fighting for the position for the last spot, they could be. They could end up uh, being here in the roster for, for a long run and be the next Larry Garcia for the next 10 years of the run. I think that I can't get mad. Um, he provided great moments. Uh, he's a great guy, really well-liked, well-liked guy in the clubhouse. I still think all that stuff is overrated. Uh, winning fixes everything. If you win, everybody likes each other. If you lose, everyone starts complaining about one another. So I think that Larry being liked or disliked is, is irrelevant. Uh, but I do think he will be missed from a standpoint that now he cannot be blamed. So he joins on that Twitter world where uh, we can't blame Larry. So now there's T- Tony's gone, Larry's gone, Dallas is gone. It's like a whole list of guys that you can't blame. So it's going to get even more real for players. And for the players that are stepping up, um, this is going to be a big opportunity for them but also an opportunity for them to be great, but also be exposed. Because when you look at Larry's numbers uh, all around, they were not horrible for a utility player and probably one of the better utility players in Major League Baseball. But he will be missed. And until today, until this day, and until somebody else goes deep in the playoffs, okay, and sorry, Tim Anderson, we don't count games in uh, the corn, even though White Sox fans would love that to be a playoff game. Are you kidding me as well? I'm not not kidding Hey, it, just because a game was on ESPN. I got your corn right there. That's fine. By the way, T.A. has a many, many great uh, hits and home runs, and he's going to have a lot of many more hits and home runs in his career. Um, that one, probably in the top two most overrated home runs, the most overrated one was when he flipped the bat and the whole Kansas City thing 
But that home run, again, if you look at if somebody came down from space and looked at that home run, they would think that it was in a World Series moment or in a playoff because it was a national TV game and it was the Yankees. Uh, they won probably the highlight of that year. Leary's home run was in the playoffs against the Houston Astros. The only moment offensively where that team looked alive. I was at the ballpark. It was electrifying. It took, what, eight years, 10 years to get back to that moment. Hopefully it doesn't have to wait that long again for White Sox fans. But he will be missing again. We will talk about him. And, and that's going to be a subject all year long. Was it the, you know, people are going to say, was it the right move or the wrong move? Because, you know, it was $60 million. Uh, what, if, you, if you pay $60 million, you might have not paid it for somebody to go away, but you're paying $60 million for the opportunity of having Colas in the outfield and maybe having more at-bats for Sheets and maybe more at-bats for Berger. That's the way I look at it. Like a little bit, a couple mil for a couple, a couple of those guys. And down the road, it might pay off. I think that's the front office uh, strategy from that, that point. But I wanted to give Larry his due time. You know, he is up there on the, you know, 10 years plus played on the White Sox. Um, he did lose his bet against Ozzy because Ozzy Sr. definitely thought that Larry would play more years with the White Sox than Ozzy did. So uh, unfortunately, he was not. But again, you can always come back for a second tour uh, and, and come back. We've, 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 the Sox have been known for that. Yeah. Uh, Gonzo, uh, before we get off the Leary legend topic, I just want to thank OJ for fucking giving him some proper words. Okay. Um, not shooting back. Execution style. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, Gonzo, who's the next Leary Garcia for the team? Who's going to be that super utility on the roster? Oh, it looks like it's going to be Romy Gonzalez hitting his sixth home run of the spring this year. Oh, um, yeah. Is Romy going to even start the year in the big leagues? Because he cannot be this all-around all, all utility guy again and start in the spring. But he could be the guy. Um, we'll wait and see. Or, or, or is he going to be the guy that's going to be the most hated guy Romy. in the big leagues from the Twitter world? I mean, I, from what I see on the net, Romy is universally liked. I mean, granted, yeah, they don't want to play here enough games to be hated. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> so you think somebody's going to hate him when he's batting 300 over what 250? By the way, was one of the most well liked players for a long, long time, and one bad year of him being played in every single game and being you know hit second and lead off, which again was not his decision made fans completely turn again over on Larry. Yeah. So yeah, I guess what I was alluding to really is like kind of how I end up my first statement was I'm not putting that blame on Lurie. I've always been on now look granted I've been on the bandwagon with Han all the way through twenty one and then that's when things started to change in my perspective and now I'm slowly looking back in hindsight looking at the roster construction over that time period that he was granting us a parade. So it goes back to 2019 going into that with his roster construction. And for that money, I wanted better skilled role player for the price. Kind of like, you know, when the Cubs went through it, they paid that money for a, a role player like Ben Zobras. So um, a little, little, little different results from the ben, big Benzo than, than from, yeah. uh, from that standpoint. Again, Gonzo. Did you Lurie, call him the big Benzo? Big Benzo. Yeah, World Series. But like what what I'm gonna say there is like this moment going forward, if Project Birmingham is in effect, hopefully the guys coming up will be more have a higher skill level potential and prove it in the big leagues when they come up for their respective times for they got for a skipper. Players. They got a skipper. Project Birmingham uh, has mm -hmm. a skipper. 
So, you know, um, they, ha they have a manager. So at least they have that part now and uh, uh, in, in, in Pedro. So it will be interesting. Yeah. And that leads us to the opening show here, uh, opening season day here coming up here on Thursday. I want to welcome everybody. This is episode four, season one. And I am welcome. I welcome you, Justin Lee from Bad Guy Radio, who is with us on the gridiron, on the Ozzy Gian gridiron. And I got Junior with us, finally back from his vacation. Yeah. You, you want to talk to us a little bit, Junior, about that lovely vacation that you had? It was awesome. It was great. Uh, definitely beat being in spring training uh, with Ozzy. <laughs> those are the moments where you're like oh being out of baseball is great no it was awesome it was got to be around family got to watch the wbc uh locally um so i got to see uh venezuelan's hearts get ripped off literally by trey turner trey like ripped it and ran with it um a bunch of kids in venezuela that were just left in devastation but it was awesome it was great got got to see family got to see that and again a lot of uh baseball talk which again always changes my perspectives um you know opinions of different sides of the world people that view the game differently and and again my, my perspective is always adapting and changing uh and one that maybe today i'm a little bit more positive on both the teams that i tend to watch the most uh which is perfectly leading right now to to uh to the Griffal um talk uh the, the swaggiest manager watch game wise i'm kind of i want to see what kind of watch he rocks on opening day i'm not gonna lie i'm more i'm more interested in his watches than his starting lineup uh because the starting lineup uh, there's only so many options he can go with. Watches though, opening day, it's a big one. I know he's gonna. I know big, big Pedro is going to bring out a pause. Watch. He's gonna be a great watch out. I'm, that's all I'm saying. So this next segment, okay? Because again, during the break, it's Ziggy and family. We talk about, you know, baseball. That's what we do. And and we had a Pedro conversation. And you know, the guy's a great communicator on on both Spanish and English. That's you know, he's he's very fluent in both. He, he dealt with controversy. Like if you're going to prepare somebody in the middle of the season to talk about something more controversial than a certain player by the name of Clevenger being on your roster and then, then not being on your roster and being on your roster. And he, he dealt it, he dealt with it perfectly. And then the way that he's been dealing with the media, it's very hard. Okay. Very, very hard to manage a team with expectations and be Mr. Positive every single day. Okay. Uh, you know, and they want to see you kind of fault and say something that's like dumb and makes no sense. And he has done none of that. His staff has been, you know, very under the low key, just doing their drills. Uh, I haven't heard of any dumb drills, you know, uh, playing catch with no baseballs or, you know, you see no, wait, what? Oh, there's, there's managers out there that we're going to do drills with like no baseballs. We're going to, you know, we're going to do fake tags on fake runners and just like these, all these dumb drills that, you hear all these like analytical teams do now. You didn't really hear that from camp. You, you heard a bunch of know-it-alls in the media world talking about like he's he's introducing fundamentals. Pedro is of air of is just fresh air coming into of just being a pure baseball guy, and it's great because he can talk the numbers. And he's I've said it before, and Rick Pond might not like this. I think Pedro could be the general manager of, of any major league baseball team. That's what he was literally being built for. So you have a guy that can help in the front office, a guy that can obviously is going to be able to show us what he can do. But from a coaching standpoint, he has just been doing what you do in baseball. He's been, you know, telling guys to, you know, put the ball in play. I love the, 
the stealing bases and you know trying guys in different positions and not feeling like the media is going to pressure him on uh, whether he's talking about Colas in center and Eloy in the outfield. He's not really you know trying to do things to make people happy except himself. And and I think that he went in into a front office that is not an easy front office to deal with. And he literally went and 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 asked for the roster that I think he wanted. And I said it a couple of shows ago that I would look at the roster and I would see how much power Pedro had. And he has power. So I during our break, we were talking about that, that you can't hate him against a guy that he's doing all the things right and he's having results. And when you look at his staff, a lot of guys with credentials. So I think that what he brings in with all the pressure that he has had and expectations, he's been able to deal with them the right way. And when there is controversy, he's going to deal with it the right way. I, the other day on the score, they were talking about, Bernstein was talking about how does Griffal, how is Griffal going to reprimand the players? Is he going to be in your face type of guy and pull him out of a game? Or is he a tunnel guy? Who cares? As long as he has results, you know, and, and the, like the, the explosion of like when, even like when Ozzy came in 2004 and they called it Ozzy ball and all he was doing was just playing fundamental baseball, timely hitting home runs. Pedro's going to play really good baseball. So I don't know if they're going to win games, but I'll guarantee you it's going to be a lot more fun watching this team than it was previous years on like catching the ball, throwing the ball because he's not going to let little things go by. So that's the part going into the segment that we talked about that during the whole time of, you know, you got to give the guy his credit, which is well-deserved. Meet my manager. This is Griffold's Grounds. You know, I don't have a problem making decisions. I don't have a problem making a call on a, you know, on a, on a pitcher. I don't have a problem making a call on, on you know, on whatever our team needs at this particular moment. <laughs> Yes, and this is Griffal's Grounds now. This is going to be our opening series coming up here. And every every show from here on out, we're going to be talking about game decisions that Griffal made and key moments during his tenure here with us. But for this episode, we are going to digest and go right into the breakdown of the 26-man roster. Hasn't been hasn't been official yet, but that'll probably come tomorrow. But we do have a few moves um, from roster moves that they made uh, yesterday um, with bringing back, um, or I should say, sending Billy Hamilton down to the the minors and some other names like Eric Gonzalez too. Hazley was in there and some others, but um, as you can tell, that also led to what we already talked about with Lurie being DFA'd. Um, but first, we're going to talk about the position, the position players first, and we're going to begin with the infield. So, of course, we're going to have Griffal at catcher as your starting catcher, likely, and then we're going to have catcher Envoy. manager. Wait, Griffal was he a catcher? So Grandal's yeah. managing. Grandal, man, he's doing it all back there with that herniated disc. <laughs> that herniated disc of his, hopefully, it holds up because um, that's a guy that. I know Junior likes to, you know, harp on our catchers. And oh, no, I'm saying, though, you're surprised that he's going to be the starting opening day catcher? Oh, man. You Let's ride see. that, hey, guys, you ride that that <laughs> this comes out. But you need to, if he can catch 100, if he can catch 75 games, guys, I'm sorry. You don't need to be a, a big league manager like Pedro Grafal to know that the, the, the team is better 
with with Grandal behind the plate than Sebi. It meaning just all around because if Grandal has to DH, that means that somebody else is not playing. So I'm not shocked that that's probably the one position that other than TA that I know will be in Pedro's plan is to start Grandal at catcher. Why wouldn't he? You ride that disc out until that disc can no longer do any more writing. You're coming extremely close, buddy. Extremely close. Just say ride for good health with. I'm just saying, though, everybody knows. Again, I'm not with with Grandal is not a secret that is. He just needs to take care of that. Jim Tony had herniated disc and was, you know, you, there's things that they can do about that. So I'm not worried about Grandal. The guy looks amazing shape wise, dropped a bunch of weight. He's put the work in, but he should be the starting catcher. Uh, I'm not shocked about that at all. But, and honestly, he looked better than my expectations were coming into the spring with his performance. Like he was hot to begin the, to spring training. And that's what I wanted to see. Um, and it, it clearly showed in his performance that it's, you know, his, his whole off season that he had with the, uh, the Blackhawks, um, uh, training staff, um, their director, like it paid off. It looks like, so hopefully with him going and stepping aside and staying in Chicago and doing that, that's going to pay off for, for the rest of the season here. Um, that's what we want to see. And hopefully the health bug doesn't bite him because that's what we don't need. We don't need to see that health bug tear apart our all, all, all of our core players and especially without riddle on the roster <laughs> jesus christ all right <laughs> we're moving on to first base first base is going to be andrew vaughn and uh i'm not sure if you saw junior today but he had a nice little shot a bomb. A little bomb that he had today and i'm I glad that he was i'm glad that he was i'm glad that he was okay his legs <laughs> And I think he had like so far 37 at bats in the spring with a 370 batting average, if I remember right, with two two home runs, five ribbies. I think it was like a 900 plus OPS. So uh, he didn't have a two, a, you know, have a bad spring for himself either. And uh, I know how much in that first episode, you know, I was getting hackled for my predictions coming up for him, but. Uh, Honestly, I'm I'm excited to see Andrew at first base. Um, granted, I never would have wanted to see, you know, Abreu leave the way you know things happened, but that tends to be the case with our first baseman um, from one replacing the next. So all I all I hope for is the best for Vaughn going forward, and we do get to see Jose opening day against us. So. It's going to be exciting times. Um, I'm going to come back to Vaughn, though, because there are some things I want to say about him. But second base, at first we thought they were going to roll with Rami starting there at second base before they signed Elvis. So bringing Elvis back into the mix to get those starting reps at second base, that's what I like to see. A nice veteran guy like himself. Um, I'm excited for what he did for us when we signed him at the trade deadline last season. And I'm excited to see if he can continue that. Um, Cause that's the guy that seems to be get the ball rolling with the guys in the clubhouse. And maybe he brings the energy that Lori did. Get. All that energy. All that energy. He's going to be, he's going to be a pro. First thing he said, do is send Andrew Vaughn, a walking chair, like a walking. Oh my God. 
Hey, dude, that's the type of heckling they need. Elvis Andrews needs to look at them and be like, yo, you're, you're, you're a child. Get off your legs. Stay fresh. I hope they have that type of heckling because that means the team is doing well. You know what I like about the Elvis Andrews sign? That Pedro Griffal and his coaching staff is not full of shit. I said it. Because they went in. There's nobody that probably was a bigger fan of Romy making the opening day roster in his mind than Pedro Griffal. Miami guys, Latino, knows the kid. Got to spring training. Coaches probably did some assessments. Looked themselves in the eye and said, hey, we need, we need, we need some veteran. We need to bring – we need to get a guy that can come here and, and, and really fill this hole in from day one. And they went and got him. And they didn't kid themselves and said, oh, we're going to find and, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to figure out a way and, and kind of fit somebody in there. And they went and got a guy. Elvis Andrews, is he going to be, you know, uh, uh, the all-star that he once was? No, but if he's average, he's a great pickup. Again, Pedro Griffal said it again in Griffal's grounds. Our backup shortstop plays second base. Everybody knows that. So meaning they know that Elvis can just transition. Elvis has always been healthy. I think Elvis is a great part of this team. I think that we need to focus more on Elvis off, uh, defensively than offensively, which I think he's going to make TA better. Uh, working at shortstop, which he's already been improving. So big, big, big one on that one for Griffal on, on Elvis and, and the front office. Yeah, I, I, I like bringing Elvis back too because like Tim Anderson is still young playing the game of shortstop. Like he, had, he wasn't born into baseball. So there's probably some gamesmanship that uh, Elvis could show him at the position of shortstop. Like, don't get me wrong. Tim Anderson been in the league damn near a decade, right? But there's still aspects of playing the position of shortstop that still eludes T.A. That's why he is an inconsistent defender and stuff like that. So hopefully Elvis can uh, give T.A. an opportunity to pick a real shortstop spring. Because you got to think, look at, look at Tim Anderson – in a White Sox uniform in this uh, organization. Has there ever been a shortstop better than T.A. on the 40-man roster since T.A. became a uh, everyday starter? No. Uh, Jose Valentin, but... I mean, but that was like, what, 20 years ago? I think, I think offensively. So the reason that I like T.A., I think that the improvement that T.A. has done at shortstop, and this is something that is extremely underrated for T.A. Everyone talks about... T.A.'s bat, which is one of the top ones in the league. You know, you don't even have to talk about that one. But they talk about his defense all the time. His defense from an improvement standpoint, like at one point I was like, put him in left field, put him in center, put him anywhere but uh, shortstop. And, and people were crazy saying, move T.A. to second and have Elvis play short. And I'm like, second is not easier than, than short. And yeah. You have to redo the double play. I think, I think that there's going to be I hope that T.A. has uh, opened his mind enough to pick Elvis's brain where Elvis is going to show T.A. to have pride in his defense. Yep. Okay? Like, meaning Tim Anderson has the athletic and God-given ability to be a gold-glove shortstop because he has a great arm. Uh, his athletic ability is footwork. He just needs, again, I'm not going to say more work, but – when you're playing in the game, sometimes you make errors because of mental lapses, 162 games, you know, especially when your team's out of it. So staying there mentally focused, I really think that when you become really good defensively, and again, this is again, new, new infield staff. If this team takes pride on like, we want you to be just as good as a shortstop. Okay. As you are a hitter. And he buys into that from someone like Elvis Andrews, where I know that the pride where, where TA can go home 
and go 0 for 4, but he plays such a great shortstop that he just sleeps as well at night, then that becomes extremely dangerous because now he he just goes to another stratosphere as a player. So that's where I like the Elvis Andrews because Elvis Andrews has done it and he did it for many years and he was all, he was a decent hitter and he was a great shortstop defensively. So that combination there of him feeling confident throwing to second and short uh, from se- short to second and, and throwing to first and feeling confident with Elvis. I really hope that they make that bond and maybe TA, you know, since uh, it's a growth from, from Harrison, because again, I think that TA every year he's gotten better. Like when I see TA making errors last year, it's more like a mental game. You know, he had like two, three in one game. It's not like, Oh man, this guy really needs to work defensively. So again, I'm not going to say T- Tim Anderson is, is going to cost so much money at one point. I don't even want I, as a as a White Sox fan, you, you don't even want to think about it because he's gonna. Get hey, paid. Vincent, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell you right now, Vincent. I'll leave this comment off the rest of the fucking show if I could. I swear to God. If he does though, if 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 he does, and you're seeing Trey Turner again jump because of his offense, and when you look at Trey Turner at shortstop, you, you, he's not Ozzy Smith, okay? Like like he's not. He's not Ozzy Guillen Sr. And what I'm talking about is that when you look at their defensive wards, you're like, this guy's literally in the league just because he can catch the ball. That was Ozzy. So, and, and his God-given ability was just off the charts. Like, T.A., you, when you look at his hand and footwork and his speed and what he can do, I think that he can get – he can literally get better every single year. It's not like he's in the back end of, like, 30 and he's getting slower. Like, he can literally be a better defensive shortstop and I really think that one of those crazy bets and you say you're going to get receipts, I really think that T.A. could be a candidate one day for, for, for a gold glove. Why? Bobby Abreu won a gold glove. Like, you need to have a good offensive year and your name to be enough around there that he'd be really concentrated and said, I'm going to make shortstop just as important as hitting. He wait, 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 wait. Hold on. What do you mean Bobby Abreu won a gold glove? What do you Bobby mean? won a gold glove. Look it up. Yeah, he's a good fielder. A good oh, he's arm. Nice Bobby Abreu is one of the worst right fielders, and that's my boy. No, you know what? All right. I'm just being honest. Again, I think Pedro Griffal, every time I think that for, for Pedro and the decision of making his lineup, I hope that Elvis Andrews gets guys like T.A. to play when he's a little sore. Uh, I hope that the communication is better because for T.A., I'm not, ability is not the problem. How many games can he put in the lineup? That's all that Griffal's worried about because T.A. will produce. He's going to produce. He's a, he's a gamer. He's a, I'm not going to say gamer because gamer means you play, you know, just every game, like a, just a wild man. But I think that for him is more about games played than us judging his ability. Yeah. And, and to go yeah. back to what you were saying though, with defensively with, I'm excited because Tim was injured all of that second half. He didn't get to play with Elvis. So building that chemistry up the middle, that's yeah. what was exactly going with Vincent's comment. I'm excited to see how they go together. Um, and hopefully they put their egos aside and just go at it because the ego that will kill what we're trying to push for here as a team and with the expectations that we have. So, but obviously, yes, Tim Anderson will be at shortstop clearly. And then Mankata at third base. And that will be your infield. And I know our junior, you weren't with us last week, but again, you predicted USA, Japan. And then clearly we see Mankata coming back from Cuba, leading team Cuba and the all tournament team that you made at that position. Granted, it was a two-week tournament, but with the competition level that where it was at, Mankata had a hell of a tournament, and we should give him praise for 
his, his success that he has because everyone likes to hate on him when he's down having Everybody. his worst season last year. And you, you have to be balanced. You can't be a hater without giving some praise. You have to be, you know, keep your criticism in check. That's what I like to say. Um, but let's transition transition to the outfield here. Uh, we're going to have Benny with the largest contract for franchise history playing in left field. Haven't seen him too much this spring. Obviously, when I was there in Arizona, I got to clip him getting a walk. Nice, beautiful walk first. Blake Snell in that game. Um, but it's, I think I seen one home run out of him. Um, it was like, I think that was at the, uh, what was that, a couple games ago he had that he pulled it to right field. But that was like the first glimpse I've seen out of Benny in spring training. And uh, in center field, we're going to have Luis Robert. And then right field, you probably won't be the starter, but you'll probably see a lot of Colas out there as he did make the roster. And that is a beautiful thing to see. So that will be our outfield. And again, I think opening day, the right fielder will probably be Eloy. That will probably surprise a lot of people. But uh, I'm a lot of people. <laughs> yes. And we'll bring uh, Junior back here. But uh, hey, Junior, I know, I know you weren't here with us last weekend, but I wanted to get your thoughts because we had a lot of Luis Robert talk. Um, and I want to get your thoughts on him as a center fielder and your expectations going forward with, with what you wanted to see out of Luis Robert. So for all the guys, for all the Cuban players, my guy Moncada, great guy. Everybody knows I'm obsessed with him. They were facing double-A, triple-A pitching in that other side of the bracket. So he needs to just build up on that. Uh, the fourth, he made the all-team. Again, it's a great act life for him, but White Sox fans cannot be expecting him to hit 475. But going to Pantera now and the same person, because he also had, he didn't have a bad tournament either. For Pantera, I want to see... I'm 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 over the oh my god Pantera is going to be Mike Trout. Oh, Pantera is going to be you know Pantera just try to be Lance Johnson at this point. The one dog, great center fielder, Aaron Rowan. Just get, just play baseball, stay healthy, and stay in the lineup because when he has been in the lineup, he has been able to produce. Uh, and I think Pantera needs to let the, the manager know and let Pedro know. When, when he's hurt, when he's not hurt, he might have been a little bit timid early in his career. Um, but I really think the expectations need to go away of, of you know, he's going to be a 40-40 guy and all this and just go out and play baseball. From a defensive standpoint, I think that he's still one of the top uh, naturally God-gifted center fielders out there. But he's, he's got to go out there and want to play. And uh, days that he needs days off, let them know, let Colas play center. Uh, but it's just go out there and produce, man. He's one of those guys that he's on that list of just you need to shut up and just show up um, and not him because he's not a very vocal guy, the media and the fans and, you know, Pantera is going to go out and do this. And Pantera is going to go out and do that. You need to play more than hundred games in the big leagues in order to be a big league, uh, big league player in the sense of like, you're actually contributing a lot to your team and not it's again, this is not a COVID season. So hundred games is not your full year. This is a 162. So for him, it's more about being on the field and, and finding out a way to stay on it. Yeah, I mean, uh, personally, I'm very fucking concerned with Luis Robert, and I'm going to tell you why. Um, he hasn't lived up to my personal expectations. I wasn't predicting him to be a 40-40 guy, but I just need you to get better every year. When I see him catching a fly ball and getting ready to deliver to the cutoff, man, it's still flat-footed. You know what I'm saying? He's not walking up to the plate with an approach. 
He's just looking for balls that he can that he has an avenue to hit. He's just swinging up there. Like, don't get me wrong, he did play well for Cuba, but in totality, his spring was a little bit trash, and it's concerning because when you when you take his body of work that what he, what he's done the last few years, it's it hasn't been enough. He hasn't been healthy enough. He hasn't hit a ball over the fucking fence enough. He's won the the uh. One of the he won a platinum glove, and now he's declining as a fucking center fielder defensively. Like I don't expect Luis Robert to win a gold glove in center field next year. I don't think he's going to be in the running for a silver slugger. So I'm concerned as a fan. That's all I'm. I'm going to make an announcement. I'm going to go off right now. I know we're keeping receipts. Oh, Everyone talks about Pedro Grafal's positivity. I'm going to say that first guy Pedro Gafal goes off on is Luis Robert yeah. Jr. I think the first person to feel the wrath of Pedro Gafal and get a spanking or get an earful is going to be Robert. The moment that Luis Robert goes out there and does not play good defensively, meaning hard, go gets every ball, stops throwing flat-footed, and wastes at bats, you're going to see Pedro get on him. And you're going to see him, you know, probably miss games get benched at some point, but if he does not go get it, if he does not go in from day one, okay, and everyone's talking about Moncada and this guy and TA and everyone's worried about it. No one ever talks about Robert. And Robert kind of, for being a young player, uh, and Tony never went after him. And you, usually coaches go after really young guys. Um, and, and even, you know, his pre- he's, he's on his third manager, believe it or not. No one has really gone after him. So I think that Pedro might have realized this in, in the coaching staff of like, we got to stop treating this guy like he's a veteran, like he's been, like he's Grandal. And if he makes a mistake, we need to get on him just as much as you get on Colas. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go on a limb and I'm going to put Pantera up there, right there, that he might be the first guy to get the, the, the dark side of Pedro. And Pedro calls him out if he does not do something well. You know, Junior, that's a great point. And I know last episode, I actually said that, you know, you got to consider also that with this uh, world baseball classic, he was only here for a week with this coaching, this new coaching staff. So he really didn't get, you know, them on him at, you know, at all really. And then he goes away for two weeks and he's coming back and now he's only going to be back for like a couple of games to end spring training. And so I can see exactly where you're coming from. And it is a really good point. And I, I definitely see that because you've already seen the Sox putting Colas in center field. So you definitely know that Colas is likely going to be center field when, Robert's having a couple of days rest, but also just to prove a point, like you need to step your game up if you want to stay here with that extension that he was given. Yeah. Um, but also, Junior, you also brought up Colas and what that decision was going to mean for who was controlling this roster. Was it going to be Grafal? Was it going to be Han? And we got the answer. Oscar made this roster and last, I think it was last week he was on with Chuck Garfine on that podcast and Grafal was hyping up Colas to the point where it felt like he was going to be here and it really wasn't going to be that, um, that he was going to end up in the minor leagues with the service time that others were thinking. So the fact that you called that out, that was marvelous. And uh, it looks like he's here to start the season on the big leagues and, to really prove himself. So I want you to talk about not only him making the roster, but can you also see with Valdez though, pitching as the lefty on opening day, seeing Eloy in right field and using the designated hitting options for that 
particular game for game one. I want to get your thoughts on both. You know what? I'm going to be honest. Um, there's a lot of question marks going in of, of what who Oscar Colas was from a competing for a big league spot. I, I, I didn't want to be the typical White Sox Kool-Aid drinker and said he needs to be the everyday right fielder just because we said so and he's a top prospect and he's part of the Birmingham project. We built a billboard for him. So he went off right from day one and got to work way into the opening day roster. And that's what I think what Pedro wanted to see in the staff, which I think that makes him even happier. If Pedro Grafal is going to be here for the long run, uh, it will probably have to do a lot with Oscar Cola so that them getting there on the same year is going to be, you know, something that, you know, could be a, a book story ending for both of them in, in White Sox history. So I think that he's, he knows that he can uh, kind of shape this player into what he feels like is an ideal player mentally and what he can help him out from that standpoint. Obviously the, the communication, there's not going to be an issue whatsoever because again, they both speak their native languages, but I think that him being able to push that of, I don't think Colos is going to play for three managers in three years, like other players have, or in five years, like other players have um, coming up right off the bat early in, in, in their career. So I can see that being the connection. So I was very, uh, I was very satisfied the fact that he earned the spot and it was not given to him. I was also satisfied that there are times where major league baseball teams make money decisions and decisions for the future and, and keep a guy that's no secret, hold a guy from a roster so that they can have service time. And, and the manager knows it. the manager knows it, that they want to break camp. I'm, I'm going to be, uh, uh, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. Jeff Torborg in 2003, wanted to break camp with a, a player named Miguel Cabrera. He thought Miguel Cabrera could play right off the bat from day one with the big league team. And the Marlins said, no, 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 can't do that. Jeff Torber gets fired. Jeff McKeon comes in. Guess who they call up? Miguel, Miguel Cabrera. Cabrera. Dontro Will is the same story. So sometimes uh, they, they hit, uh, rest in peace, Jose Fernandez from Ozzie Guillen in the 2012 camp. Like if Ozzie sees this guy, it's going to be a huge deal because he's going to call him up to the big leagues. Sometimes there's difference between managers and front offices because their contracts don't end on the same date. So for Pedro Grafal to give this guy a challenge, the challenge to be met, and then for him to be rewarded, for him to be the starting right fielder, absolutely. I I would I might make an exception for this game, okay, on the lefty situation, because it's opening day. And I don't want this guy to be babysat of, you can only hit one side of the batter. I want Pedro to tell him you can hit anybody and we're going to play you today because you deserve to make the opening day lineup because this is what we're going to go with. And later in the game, if they need to make a change because a matchup is not better then you pinch it for him, whatever. But I, I want, I think that Pedro breaks camp with him in right field. I hope, I don't want to do this matchup stuff. If, if, if Colas had 200 at bats in the big leagues and you had results on him against lefties, like that was that bad. I would say, okay, don't start him. It's minor leagues. You know, this guy could come up in the big leagues and feel the the energy and to take over and, and, and just be a great hitter. All great hitters hit both sides equally. So I want to see him take that stride. I don't want him to start like babysitting him and saying, okay, well, we're only going to pitch, you know, you're only going to face three and four starters and just opening day, put him out there and see what he does. And then again, pick the spots afterwards, but let him know that he owns the position and that he's, you know, that they're behind him. So I, I wouldn't, 
later in the year, I might see, you know, platooning and matchups and whatnot. Opening day, there's no stats on him. Let him go out there. They don't have a report on him. They only have, like, minor league stuff and spring training. Believe one hanging might take him deep. Who knows? You know, you might create a monster from a guy going out there. Don't be so timid. Just go in. You've already put him in the roster. You're already given the, you know, the right, right field spot. What's the difference if he goes 0 for 4? It's happened before. Let him be the opening day right field. You, wait, time out. You, you're telling me that Major League Baseball players have went 0 for 4 before? Yeah. What? I'm, I'm just saying, like, it's just – if he had 300 at-bats and you know that it's a guy that it, – it's like if you look at Andrew Jones at the end of his career, Andrew only faces one side because at the end he was better facing one, you know, left-handed – you know, he was better from the right-handed side, left-handed pitching. Every, every, every batter's like that, you know. You ask Ozzy every day, like, what lefty on lefty like? He's like, good luck for him, you know, because he, he was a lefty hitter. Uh, he liked, liked writing pitching. So but from a guy with a coolest talent and what he means for the future, like when you have a guy that's potentially going to be your everyday right fielder for many years to come, you can't be thinking about platooning. And it's hard enough finding one good guy, but trying to think a guy of like, I'm going to give you 300 at bats and I'm going to give you 300 at bats. Just go out there and play. So what's the big deal if he loses? You know, if he goes 0 for 4 the first time, it won't be the first, it won't be the last. He might get better and he might want. He might show you something different. Yeah. And then, uh, Gonzo, I was, I was just going to ask you, like, if you're thinking about Platoon and Oscar Colas, what outfielder do you have outside of Eloy that could give you the same production, the same quality at bat from the right side? Like, you don't have it. Like he's been given, he's been giving you really good at bats this spring. It's not like he hasn't given up anything. He struck out what twice. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, no. and think of, and thinking how he's handling left-handed pitching. He's letting the ball get deep. He's fighting. He's covering the outer third. Like he's doing everything you would want a left-handed hitter to do against left-handed pitching early. Well, also, you want to like when you're a left-handed batter again, and you might be facing your biggest challenge, you might be locking yourself in more and like tracking pitches and getting ready for the big league. So you might be getting better help by facing harder pitching and maybe grinding out a second two times when you go face a righty than just sitting on the bench and watching somebody else swing. Yeah. Again, getting feel big league, getting the jitters out. So um, it's way too early in the season. If you had another guy on the bench that was like, you know, they brought in a veteran guy uh, that could kill – the lefty pitching and you're like man this guy is a is a solidified just big league veteran that they platooned out there i consider it but there is no one on like that that was going to play right field uh none of those guys are better i think potential wise when you make the lineup so you go out there and, and you don't waste that position and you just go and battle it out face yeah, to face I preferably want him to make the open day roster. And for that reason, what we're talking about is I want him early on in the season, learning and making his adaptions to what he's getting and to have that struggle as a rookie early on than later in the season. So like as the season goes, he's going along with it and hopefully hitting it in stride. But really when he's going to be likely down in the bottom half of the lineup, I'm really not too worried about, you know, those struggles, because I just want to get the best out of him moving forward. And it's okay if whatever production he gives us, he gives us because he's at the bottom of the order and it just keeps the lineup moving. And hopefully he is, you know, just having success and not having a huge struggle early on. But, hey, whatever we get out of him, I'm just happy that he made this roster because, like you said, Junior, he is the best option for this team as constructed. 
Um, but that leads us going to the bench roles where we got our guy, Sebi Savala, as our backup catcher. And it looks like with the camps that Alberto and Romy had that they're going to get the next two spots. And that really leaves it to one spot left. And it's going to likely come down to Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger, which one of those guys are going to end up getting that spot. Um, presumably, like, for me, I really want to see Jake Berger get it, um, just from what I've seen out of him. But, I mean, I like the left-handed bat from Sheets, too. But I would personally go with Berger. What do you guys think? I think you're fucking biased. And this was premeditated. You was going with Berger. If we had to choose between Ron Kittle and Jake Berger this spring, you would have still chose Jake Berger. So why? Okay, so you're not even denying it. Well, I'm just. So, so you know what? I, 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 this is the this is where the difference is. So you you've seen what what Sheets can do at the big league level, and it's really what other positions you might want to go in and be able to replace. So Burger can play third. Okay. Burger can play first. Okay. Can technically can Burger grab a glove and go to the outfield. So can sheets. Okay. So that's the, that that's the aspect over there. So you're not, so when you're talking about a defensive replacement, you're really not replacing sheets for a, for a standpoint of, um, or replacing a big big bat there as a as a as a lefty meaning like you know defensively you're not gonna pinch run either guy because they're both slow slow as molasses unless you're pinch running for a grand doll but at that point why not just pinch run with first with Sevi um that from either guy so it's not a speed thing so it's really the righty bat or the lefty bat so it's like who am I going to pinch it for in what situations but it's also on what guy do I want to get more reps in at the big league level and be able to see what they have. And yeah. that's going to be the hard part to decide of when, when burger happens. And so that's the, the reality of, you know, if, if you see a struggling John Moncada and burger starts playing better, do you start seeing that transition again? Is that something that they're thinking about? Because sheets at this moment can only play first base DH outfield so his time will probably come in that in that realm and i can see him DHing um at times but it's going to be a decision because i could totally see burger doing it the same way so i think that's going to be whoever stays in the big league team is going to be like you have to produce from day one uh sort of thing uh it's going to be hard because i think both guys are very similar power hitters uh but i do think that burger strikes out a lot less but it's going to be hard, man. It's going to be a hard decision. Probably one of the hardest decisions from a roster standpoint, since we're in Grafal's, uh, you know, we're talking about Grafal, that Grafal's going to have to make with his staff. Like right now, Pedro's, uh, he should be sleeping, but if he is, you know, something is keeping him awake, is going to be this decision. Yeah, before you go, Jay, I want to say, as far as defensively goes, you already get a lot of guys that play in the outfield, starting with Eli Coilos, whether they rotate, whatever, but you also have guys like Romy, Alberto, they both have their own reps in the outfield as well. So, I'm again, you're, this is not going to be your – some of your rotational guys. So, when it comes to the bat, most of Sheets' production has come at guaranteed right field versus on the road, whereas Berger has been both home and on the road. And not only that, but he's proven in the spring as well for 
I guess your recency bias as well, but he's showing it in the, the dead power. The dead power is here, Junior. And Papa? Uh, Papa's hitting it. So, and not only that, I mean, Berger, he's first round pick too. So you got to go that side of it too, looking at the your own asset, draft assets. But he's been you know not what? only showing it off the field as well. Trade. Trade. Again, if you're not, they need to come up to a decision of what they're going to do with one of these players. And if it's not going to have them in the big league roster, you know, is there going to be an up and down guy or is it someone that you move and get someone that you can actually use in your roster or more of an insurance policy down the line? Um, mm-hmm. But again, I, I have two prospects age wise, meaning their potential is all in front of them. It's going to be a hard decision, but I think it's going to be one on base uh, and producing and and when you look at it, bats, Berger did have a kind of, I'm not looking at the numbers right now, but his spring, just from an uh, overall view, looked a little stronger than than, than Gavin's, uh, than Sheets. So, but Sheets obviously has that big league. Uh, he did it in the bigs, but Berger was doing it till he got hurt. So it's going to be interesting on, on what this, I think that that's going to be, again, like I just said a few minutes ago, the hardest decision Pedro's going to have to make from a roster construction standpoint. Uh, the only the only problem I have with Gavin Sheets staying on the roster instead of Jake Berger is two out of the three outfielders that starting uh, Oscar Colas and Benintendi are left-handed bats, right? You are is is Gavin Sheets worth keeping on the roster just to be the 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 backup first baseman? Because how much time is he really going to see in the outfield, and how much time is he going to get in the DH first base role when? There's guys like there's probably three or four guys ahead of him at every fucking level that he's qualified to play. I mean, he's a left-handed, uh, left-handed defensive player. You know what I'm saying? It's not like I could just give him spot starts in the infield. It's only left field, right field, DH, first base. And if Gonzo's fucking prophecy is fulfilled, Andrew Vaughn's gonna be playing first base for 180 games this year. Not 162, OJ. 180 games. That's including playoffs, too. Hey, you know what? That Again, you there's no such thing, I, I believe, like if you have to have an emergency first baseman. We've seen Grandal do it. We've seen Berger be able to put, you know, his first baseman's glove on. I think that's the part where, where you need to kind of just, you know, take it into consideration and say, you know, who, who is available other than Romy? in that position that could play the other positions, you know, who is he pinch hitting for? So that's the part where, when you're looking at, you know, how are you going to utilize that? I think that's where, you know, are you going to platoon guy somebody um, or is are him and Colas going to platoon and right, which I don't think that's been a plan of them at all, but it's going to be interesting. And whoever makes that roster, we're going to, it's going to be one of the most interesting things that we'll get to see Rafal do from a management standpoint. Um, because then they'll have to uh, be able to, you know, be able to stick to that that process and be able to see them develop and kind of deal with it. But I think whether it, it does not work right off the bat, they will um, go a different route. Yeah. And uh, we had Juan post a, uh, a comment about the trade for uh, Christian Pache. I mean, I like the player, Juan. The problem is Pache only hits a ball twice a week. And there's seven days in a week, and he's only making contact Monday and Thursday. So those Friday night games at the rate, he better not be in the damn lineup. Uh, I I don't think, like, 
his offensive ceiling is so low as a young player, I think it'll be doing more harm than good because then you'll be taking food off the table for guys that can hit the ball a little bit better. I mean, let's just be honest. Leary Garcia and Yomer Sanchez have been better offensive players than Christian Pache. Like, think about that. But Christian Pache is not on the White Sox, so it's a different situation of, like, what headache you want to have um, moving forward. So it's, you know, again, it's the decision of what you're going to, you know, on, on how you're going to do with it. And that, that, that's the part that's the intro on how you go move forward with it. Yeah. Yeah, and that leads us with all of our position players that we just covered. Now we're going to roll on to the pitching staff. And it uh, looks like going into the season, one through five is going to be Dylan Cease, Lance Lynn as our two, G, uh, Lucas Giolito as our three, and then um, Clevenger is four, and then the home opener with our fifth guy in the rotation is going to be Michael Kopech. I would probably not have Kopech as our fifth guy in the rotation. I'd have him up in, uh, at three, but eh, I'm not going to. That is Griffal's, you know, pitching staff to handle it's Griffal's grounds baby <laughs> and uh I get it though you you, you want to give the fans a nice home opener but I think when your opening series is versus the Houston Astros you want to send your best four out there and uh I would have Kopech a lot higher in that rotation to go up against that team um but hey that's just me what do you guys think about the rotation setup I love it I love it Due to the amounts of weed that I smoke on a daily basis, I love a good rotation. And when you have a talent like Michael Kopech at the ass end, can you imagine you, you're you a team going into guaranteed rate and you're, you're on your SP7 and on the other side you look at Michael Kopech? You have no chance of winning. There's no seventh guy in the rotation that's going to compete with Michael Kopech on a talent level. Now – let, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm a fucking homer too, right? I just look at the point to where that means Pedro thinks that Lucas is going to be good, that Mike Clevenger is going to be looking good. He's valuing the stability in the rotation over youth at that point. Like, think about this. If Dylan Cease wasn't as good last year, would you think he'd be the number one? No. Griffal would probably give the ball to Lance Lynn for game one. Like here you go, boss. Let's go. So I th- I think he's just. So I think that. Get... Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I think that when you're looking at a staff, okay, everyone wants to go one through five. Make you know have your one through five be solid. I think that you know you what what more can you ask for a pitcher returning other than being healthy? That was the number two candidate for the Cy Young and and, and Dylan C. So that's again that's that's a. There's not even consideration there. Um, every manager wants to have that. Number two, Lance Lynn. Uh, is he a guy that's lights out? Is he a guy that they want to build a statue for? He's got all these weird names and whatnot. Is he going to dominate every single start? No, but has he been solid and average all along the years that he's pitched? And you know what you're going to get? Absolutely. So you need him to go and get those starts, um, which are key. Uh especially about me, me, uh, mediocre to lower level teams that you need to be, he's done it. And when you look at Lucas Giolito um, from a, if you, if you want to have a pitcher in a situation to have a bounce back year, no better year than doing it on a contract year. So he is healthy, which again, 
he's been able to throw. But having a pitcher on a, on a, on a contract year, we saw what had happened with Rendon. Um, will he be on the White Sox in the future? Uh, if you want him to be in the White Sox in the future, then don't hope that he pitches well, because if he pitches really well, he'd probably be outpriced for what the White Sox can pay as of right now. But that's a great opportunity from a staff of saying, hey, if Julio comes out and does wants to get paid, he's going to be fine. And then you have two guys in the back end between Kovac and just watching his innings. The Sox have a strong bullpen. And with Clevenger, if he stays healthy, so if Clevenger is your fifth guy and, and really what he has to overcome is fans booing him uh, at home games, there could be worse scenarios. I think that he's probably more concerned about his health than he is about fans booing him. Uh, so I think that it's a solid staff going in. You know, would, would they hope, would, would they wish they'd had current Clay Shaw? Uh, and as a fifth starter, yeah. Uh, is, are they all righties? It is what it is. Um, it is, you know, hand, you can manage with it. But I think that they, they're going in as the staff is, if healthy, is a solid staff and a staff that you can compete with on a, on a weekly basis. And let's quickly just roll into the bullpen talk real quickly. We got eight spots likely um, as the construction for this lineup for the 26. And it's probably going to be what we've seen at this point. Bummer, Diekman, Graveman, Kelly, Lambert, Lopez, Ruiz. And then I'm thinking Gregory Santos is going to be that last guy. And, um, of course, you're going to have um, Crochet and Hendricks on your IL. So two of those guys will get bumped out of there when they get back respectively. And it's looking like Crochet might be in May, maybe sooner. So one of those guys will be coming off that. But those are the eight spots that we've seen. Um, what do you guys think so far on our bullpen? Solid. I, I think that not many teams can say solid bullpen when they have their closer and probably top three relievers in Major League Baseball go down with uh, obviously a personal health situation, which uh, swift recovery. But – Griffal will have options with a lot of guys to close games. They don't give him an opportunity to experiment. And we'll see guys in high leverage situations, and he won't name a closer. So we'll see Ronaldo Lopez pitching uh, closing situations. We'll see Graveman. We'll see Bummer. We don't know. So the bullpen, again, uh, it's going to be a very strong bullpen. And your bullpen is, is uh, as good as how it's used. So one of Pedro's question marks is going to be how good of a, you know, of a manager he's going to be with the bullpen. Uh, that's why he's got – a pitching coach that has experience now a couple of years in the big leagues, uh, a guy that knows what he's doing with pitchers from a standpoint of development uh, and preparing them to, for, for the big leagues uh, and, and getting there and being effective. And he's got Charlie Montoyo as a bench coach. So I always say this, you know, when in doubt, you just ask your, your bench coach, you know, for advice. Um, so he, I think that he'll, he'll figure it out from that standpoint, but he's got the arms and when they are healthy, there are options. So the Sox bullpen is, is a strong bullpen compared to other teams when you compare them other teams that they can they consider top contenders um i totally agree with that that they are that, that their their teams actually their bullpens are actually very strong yeah i actually love the white Sox bullpen the, the only thing that uh i'm a little bit confused about is who's gonna get the ninth inning now the easy answer average yeah, but uh, what I'm what I'm trying to get to is like Graveman is one of the the few relievers, like elite relievers that could go two innings. So do you use him as a setup guy and designate the ninth for a guy like Joe Kelly, who who apparently going back to last year, Joe Kelly wants to pitch twice a month. <laughs> so uh, I think 
I, if I was the manager, I would just say, fuck it, Graveman, go close. But I think you really got to take a look because if you want to keep maintain and solidify the pin, you got to make sure that your anchor stays down. And I think you probably burn Graveman out, giving them save opportunities and hold opportunities too. Uh, so, I mean, I was talking with my boy, uh, Shy Nine, and he talked me into believing that Joe Kelly should close game for the Chicago White Sox. I think Ronaldo Lopez will close game for the Chicago White Sox. I think Ooh. that I think that it's going to be based on high leverage situations and when they need it. So if you have Graveman set up, you can have Ronaldo come in and close it. So I am not concerned when it comes to a closing who is pitching in the ninth. Okay, whoever's pitching in the ninth, if you don't have a legitimate closer, because again, you have uh, an opportunity to have to use all of your bullpen. I don't see them. Uh, I don't see them using just one closer. Uh, because they already have one that's coming back um, as it is from obviously when he's going to bounce back and, 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 and recover from, from his battle with cancer. So I can see them again, experimenting and, and going, whoever has the, the highest leverage situation and work on the numbers. So I think the White Sox fans that love that bullpen by committee are going to be very happy. And if they do find some consistency in Lopez closing, or if it is Joe Kelly and if it is Greenman setting up, believe it, they're going to go after it as much as possible. But at the end of the day, they're going to, Go with what um, with how much opportunity they have in order for them to succeed uh, in a game situation, and that's going to be dictated on a week by week. Yeah, and you know what? Speaking of bullpen, I got some heat in the bullpen right now. I'm talking about I got your grace, the gold crown, warming up, getting loose and get funky. So you know what? Without further ado, let's hit the blackout live, baby. Y'all thought it was a game. I told you. I got some heat coming out the bullpen. Matter of fact, the king of BGR himself, your grace, King Mac. Welcome to the blackout, big dog. I'm fucking ecstatic. Matter of fact, I'm fanned out. I'm packing myself up. <laughs> How you fellas doing, man? <laughs> Good, man. How about you? How you doing, man? How? What did you think about that breakdown that we had of uh, some of your thoughts that you had for what you see coming up here? I mean... I love you guys break down the Oscar Colas. I think that's uh that was pretty good. I, you know, I actually been on board with what Ozzy Jr. been saying about him. It's pretty cool, you know. And uh I think your breakdown of uh Roni was pretty solid too, you know what I mean? I just think the most important thing what you gotta talk about with the White Sox is health because for the past two or three years none of these guys or your most important guys haven't been able to get you a full season. So that's what it's going to boil down to. Yeah. And, you know, Mac, uh, we to kick off the show, we was talking about Leary Garcia, somebody who was healthy and available. Uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, White Sox kicking him to the curb this season? I mean, I think it was time. You know, Not, not you too. Oh, I, 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 I did. I think it was time, you know. I heard what uh, Ozzy Jr. said about him in the playoffs. 
as far as hitting a home run. But, I mean, it, it was just time for him to go. You know, I think he's kind of, you know, wore out his usefulness and what he could do as far as on the baseball field. But I wish him luck. Hopefully another team picks him up. This is some bullshit, man. I'm like, come on. You think Ken W are going to like this? Uh, Ken Will not going to like it. But, you know, it's time for White Sox fans to face some hard truths oh, about some of these uh, guys. <laughs> if they really want a winning squad, you know what I mean? Like I said, there's nothing wrong with being optimistic as a fan. I'm optimistic. I think some players, people are overrating. And then I think some players still, fans still got hope for but they're getting a little long in the tooth, if you ask me, to still have that type of hope. You know? wow. Mac, Mac, are you optimistic for Mankata in 23? No, I'm not going to be lie. honest. Be <laughs> I'm honest. not. I'm not. You know what I mean? Uh, I think the guy has all the talent in the world. It's just about if he wants it or not. Do hmm. Mankata want it? That's, that's the issue. Man, look. Really? So, so you're not, you're, go ahead, OJ. No, I'm saying like you're not even a little bit hopeful. Like, uh, like I might have some hope. So, what are you hoping for him in general? Like, what do you think is going to happen with Moncada? Keep like, hope alive, man. I'm saying like, are you thinking like worst case scenario, like he loses his job to Jake Berger, like bad? No, I think if we can get what a 2021 Yoan, that'd be okay. okay. You know what I mean? I don't think we'll ever see 2019 again. I think that was a, you know, admiration. I think that's you'll never see that again, in my opinion. You know what I mean? I just think Yohan Makata has all the talent in the world, but as far as his motor goes, to me, does he really have one? And people don't talk about that enough because there's no reason that Yohan Makata shouldn't be a top 25 player in this league because he has the talent to do it. So my question is why he's not getting it done. <laughs> okay, Mac, let's just cut to the chase because I gave you a chance to say some nice things about my favorite player in franchise history. You failed. So why isn't Luis Robert a top 25 player in this league when he has every tool in the toolbox? Why, Mac? Well, he can't stay healthy. And his plate discipline is horrible too. I mean, those are the two major factors. Man. Also, you're going to keep it short. Usually, you'll give us a monologue about my boy, <laughs> Yohan Moncada. Now, you're giving me an obituary for Luis Robert. What is this? I mean, I, I still believe in Luis Robert. I mean. Are you mad at Moncada because he's extremely good looking? I mean, I mean, that's what White Sox fans love. The fact he dance, he wears Hawaiian shirts, and he got a band and all that good stuff. But to me, as a fan, I care more about my team winning and how they play on the field. I mean, all the off-the-field stuff doesn't matter to me. You know, I'm not on here to talk about what Yohan does off the field, Luis Robert, T.A., any of those guys. To me, what should matter to fans is their production on the field. And to me, if you're Yohan Moncada stand like Gonzo and Jay, there's no way you shouldn't want more out of this guy. And you should be asking yourself why the White Sox can't get more out of this guy because he has the talent to do it. And it's time to stop making excuses. So in 2019, Moncada hit 315. Okay, he had 25 home runs, drove in 83. He finished 21st in the MVP voting. So a very solid good year of like a superstar. 
So you're saying 2021, so 263 average with 14 home runs in 144 games, no MVP uh, voting, obviously a very good solid third baseman uh, with an OPS of 787. So if you get back to 2001 Moncada, uh, which the big difference is Moncada in 2021 walked 84 times, uh, actually way less than he did in 2019. No, way more than he did in 2019. In 2019, uh, again, 2019 was a COVID year, so that's a little uh, skewed. But the 84 walks in 2021 was probably the big game changer. Um, and we've seen Rafal talk about that. So if you get 2021 Moncada, will you at least say that Moncada has basically carried his weight as a player from that standpoint. Because again, look at the games played. 149 regular season, 132 regular season, 52, okay, COVID year. Okay. 144, last year is the only year that he played under 110 games, which was 104 games. And obviously it was due to injuries. So are we being, are we blaming too much of the Sox failures on Joan Moncada? And what happened if he's just a solid role player? Like, what role do you – and I'm, my whole breakdown was getting to this. What, what spot in the lineup do you see John Moncada hitting? And if you had to ask Pedro Grafal one advice, like we give Pedro Grafal one advice on where to hit Moncada, where would you hit him, King Mac? I'm going to be honest, and, I, and I'm going to get killed for this, but I would put Yohan too. And the All reason right. I would put Yohan too is because if you look at his numbers, since we're talking about numbers, that's the best spot where he had his best performance is hitting in the two spot. And I believe in 2019 or whatever it was, it was an article written and he said he feels most comfortable hitting in the two spot. And I heard Gonzo talking about his world baseball uh, classic performance. Where was he hitting on the world baseball classic team for, for um, Cuba? He was hitting in the two spot. So to me, if you want to get the most out of Yoan Moncada, even though he hasn't earned it, I would try to make him feel comfortable and put him in the two spot. Interesting. Oh, man. There's, a, there's a lot of options going to be in that two spot, though. So, I mean, it is a lot of options, but are you trying to get... Do you think he has best? too much pressure in the two spot? Because, again, he's had his best years, but he's also been the most exposed and with, with a couple of the guys. So here's the thing. I think that for, for Moncada, I think that the expectations and the reality, and I think he's more of like a Benetendi type of guy, where you look at Benetendi's contract, and I don't want White Sox fans to think 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. That's a dude, okay? That's a dude, dude, when healthy. Like, Moncada has never driven in 100 RBIs. So is he a role player? Okay, or is he going to be a dude? And again, we, we talk about 2005, not because the, the guy who I won the greatest race of my life ever, you know, uh, was the manager of it, but it's because it's the White Sox team of all times. You got Joe Creedy here. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some Joe Creedy stats. Okay. Everyone thinks big Joe Joe Creedy hit 30 home runs only once in his life. Okay, Joe Creedy's my boy. And in that year, he hit 283, and he walked 28 times. Okay, struck out 58, which he didn't strike out a lot. There wasn't a big strikeout guy. 
150 minutes and he played 150 games. So look at Joe Creedy's numbers from a playing standpoint. And think about if there was no World Series in these numbers. 1753, 2003, 151, 144, okay? 132, that was in the uh, 05 season. 2006, he played 150 games. 06 is Joe's best season uh, ever as, as, a, as a Chicago White Sox. From 07 on, 47, 97. So he had one amazing year, which was the year that he won the World Series. So if you looked at those numbers, and again, home runs, 12, 19, 21, 22, 30. So if Moncada got back to 15 to 20 home runs, uh, what is it? And, and, and Juan Diego Montenegro, Joe Creedy was clutch because they won the World Series. Because every player can hit so deep, and, and, and if you don't win anything, nobody plays highlight reel. Well, I got a unless you, play, unless yeah. you, unless you hit him in the cornfields. Or you flip your bat, but that's a different story. But I'm just saying, hey, from his point, I'm not gonna play these games. With I got a question for you, Ozzy. Uh, I'm not gonna play these games with y'all. So you brought up one point, and the numbers are not gonna show this, but you brought up yo, I'm on kind of high strikeout rate, and you brought up the fact Joe Creedy doesn't strike, didn't strike out that much. To me, right. that's one thing about baseball why you gotta have context, and you just can't look at numbers because. Joe Creedy struck out so less, but how many more productive outs that he had than Yohan than Moncada because Yohan Moncada strike out a lot. That's, to me, what you have to look at. You know, it's it can be production in outs. So how many more productive outs did Joe Creedy have where he was making it easier for the guys behind him to actually drive in runs because he was moving them over or maybe he was even driving them in himself? That's what no, you have to I, I look completely, at. I completely agree with you. And it's like the, it's like my boy Rowan's myth of Rowan's numbers and uh, bless his soul. What a great defender. Um, but in 05, let the team in double plays. Again, never beat more than we went deep once. Mac, that, times Mac, that was a that's point two. And that's one that of the reasons off Makata uh, batting too. So because there's not a lot of productive outs on his bat. Very low. So, so I think I mean, that we I need to want, do one thing. I think that we, I don't want. I personally don't want Mankata to bat too, but I think if you're going to get the most production out of Yoan Mankata, you have to put Yoan Mankata where he feels the most comfortable. Unfortunately, well, that's the type of play he is. So I think that I think the two is a scary spot for him now. But I think that looking at other players in history, I think that number one, I think that Yoan Mankata gets a lot of hate because. He is not your typical White Sox player. If Yohan Moncada put dip all over his face and was dirty 100% of the time and rolled in every single play and or was making headlines in the news talking about political statements. This and, is unbecoming. Hold on. He wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be hated. He would be like, oh, this guy's so woke or this guy plays so hard. Guys, my Azegui and my father's a huge name in Chicago because White Sox fans love him because he thought they thought that he cared every single inning that he ever played for the White Sox. He was going 200% because he is, that's the way he is. Moncada is not that guy. So like cultural wise, he doesn't fit, but here's something that the King Mac had a great point and a stat that Pedro Grafal can keep and his nerds. Okay. Maybe some of Gonzo's friends can help us with this. And it's Losers. 
No, and it's, and it's a statistic that nobody knows. And if I was a general manager, I would ask for this stat. And if Ozzy ever manages against the big leagues, is a stat that we're going to require. And it's Ozzy used to have a saying in philosophy, and that's that 2005 team. Play pride with deep play, defensively with pride. Like if you go out and play deep, a great defensive play, it should feel just as good as a home run. And if you move the runner over in the at-bat where the next guy goes in and drives that run in, you should feel just as good because you per- – you produce that run. Productive outs. Driving in the runner from third. I want to see Joan Moncada, instead of going deep 25 times, okay, is playing better baseball. If there's a runner on third, Joan, you're driving him in. If there's a runner on second with less than two outs, I don't want you to try to go and pull the ball and not move the runner and strike out. I want you to hit the ball the opposite way and either move the runner over or give yourself up. That's what Joan Moncada can do. And if he does that, I think that his numbers will eventually will get better and the team will get better. And therefore he will not have as much pressure because I think that he's a player that he can help a team more by having productive outs than saying, I think the White Sox can win more games than saying, Yohan Moncada goes deep 30 times, but he struck out 200 times. Okay. For Yohan Moncada, I think that's for him specifically. And Juan is completely right about that. That's the whole team. But I think that productive outs in what you're doing in those situations I think will help him so much more because that's the difference between Moncada and Joe Creedy that you never saw Joe Creedy with a runner on second strike out night after night after night and not move yeah. or they got on third. So that's a difference. And that's, again, I tell him this on a consistent basis of sometimes going deep 30, 30 times is, uh, is great, but did your team win? And that's a big difference between winners and losers. Uh, and then when you're not hitting 30 home runs, how can you make 15 home runs look so good? So if he is going to hit in the two spot, is like, okay, you're doing a job for the guy in the three and the four, and that's old school baseball. But if you're hitting in the seventh spot or in the sixth spot, even if it's not a, a, an RBI situation for you, can you put the player in a better situation for that run to be driven in by Grandal or, or, or Sheets or Berger, whoever it's hitting behind him or Sebi, that's, or, or Colas, which, you know, uh, that's the part where I think it's extremely important for him. And when he is on the base pads, is scoring runs, taking the extra base. So I agree with King Mac on, you know, we need to see better productive outs. So for me is the walks need to increase case decrease and better productive outs. His defense is fine. And people are always in it. You know, they're going to hate. He's a good looking guy. Um, yeah. Everything looks good on him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I personally don't hate the guy. I mean, I just, I just, I don't, I don't. He does. I don't think King Matt does. I just think people get frustrated. I, this is the thing. I'm, I'm wow. going to keep it 100, okay? I hate when fans go out there and say, build this guy a statue, and, and they're all, all caught up on moments. You can help a team even when you're struggling, and that's the difference between winners because you're, you're struggling more than half of the season if you think about every player. But, like, in the moments that you're struggling, what are your outs doing? So is your out moving a runner? So this is the difference. We're going back to Sheets and Berger, Okay. Is Jake going to give me a better out than Sheets? Or is Sheets just going to straight up going to give me a horrible out? And that's where people get caught up on highlights because you see the home run, but like did you see everything else? So, again, I think if you put Sheets to play 600 at-bats, I think he'll go deep 25, 30 times. He's just that powerful. Uh, again, if this was the 1990s. I think he would have done it a lot easier because the pitching was that much uh, slower. Um, and he kills the slow stuff. But So I think it's giving at-bats. And I think Moncada is the, is the epitome of that. And I think that's what Griffal 
when we're talking about holding players accountable, that's what I want to see of our Sox players doing the little things of moving the runner over, scoring the runs. And that's the difference between the tribe, okay, and the White Sox. It's not that one team's better than the other or that one team plays better baseball. It's like one team produces runs and then goes deep once in a while and the other team does not. And that's where fans are like, we need to hit 30 home runs every team. It's like, no, you don't. You don't. Oh, my God. So I, I agree with King Mac, and, and, and Moncada's my guy. But if Moncada- yeah, I mean, to me, baseball is simple, right? To me, the game of baseball dictates to you as a hitter or even as a defender what you need to do. It's not really that complicated. If you have a man on second and zero out, the game dictates that you don't really have to drive this guy in yourself. You just need to advance him to third and make it easier for the guy behind you. But somewhere that style of baseball has gotten lost. And to me, if you can have a team that consistently can do that and apply pressure on other teams by just playing a simplistic style of baseball, you'll have yourself a winning team. Because to me, that's what the game of baseball is all about. And people not bringing up the problem with the White Sox last year, how many of those opportunities that they had that they didn't execute? And that's not just with Yoan Moncada. That's with a bunch of the players on the team at that time. The game dictates that you don't have to be greedy in order to score runs. You need to yeah. make a trust the guy behind you to get the job done. And that's what the game of baseball is about. Productive outs. Baseball's a simple thing. Yeah. Like the toilet. King Mac. Yeah. You know what? And, and, and since we're on the topic, uh, think about the Kansas City Royals' uh, recent World Series team. They one through nine knew how to get a runner over and knew how to get him in. No matter if you're batting cleanup, leadoff, or you was Gerard Dyson batting twelve. Everybody did the same thing. Everybody caught the ball. Everybody played fundamental baseball, and it led those people to a fucking world title. But is it sexy? Put it no. this way: I always say this: is if the, if home runs were a hundred percent of the solution. Every single year, the home run team with the team with the most home runs would have the World Series trophy. And I think that you guys can start a slogan out there. King Max said so. Productive outs. Because if not, you're going to suck. Like, that's it. And and, and I think they need to make that cool. And I'm sure the media out there and, and, you know, everyone's going to, like, create a slogan just like they created the stupid Aussie ball one. And they thought that he reinvented baseball and Caribbean baseball. And it's like, we laugh at it. We laugh at the media that made this up and the slogans because it's like, this is fundamental baseball. This is like the baseball that our grandfather taught us in the back and said, hey, you know, you move the runner over, you can do it by bunting or you can do it by hitting the ball the other way. If you can't hit the ball the other way because you suck, you bunt. Okay? That's just the reality of it. But you give yourself up. And I think that's a huge part. And, and I literally think Moncada has been the poster child for this problem that has been consistently because his numbers have struggled. But I look at this man like I, I like when I, I TA and, and and people don't get this. I know when TA is doing really well when he misses on outs by like when he moves the runner over when he's not mm-hmm. trying to keep on, on a ball when you're right. like oh this guy's dangerous right now he's hitting the ball up the middle the, the other side like he was literally trying to go the other way and he's got himself out like he's gonna he's due up for a couple hits so when I'm I'm sports when I'm wagering I'm gonna be honest with you when I'm wagering live in the game and you can wager with me live on, on opening day and I'll be calling out my plays. You can literally look at a team and say, 
are they locked in and be like, this pitcher's about to about to give up some hits just on how they're taking at bats? Or are these guys completely out of it and they're going to get K'd nine times because they have no clue whatsoever? And that's where I think King Mac and, and Sox fans are so fragile that they hate that because it's boring. You know, if you don't home runs, it's boring. And you can't put the fireworks up and you can't have dance moves. And, and you know, you can't have a, a, a put it this way, man. Bring out a stupid hat for like productive outs. You get a productive out, somebody's gonna come out, some bad boys and Bafia's gonna come out from the back of the, the dugout. Wait, time out. You want people looking like Randy and Rosarena oh for sacrifice blood? Well, and by the way, it's a hey, it's it's the <laughs> thing, it's a hey, change the game. It's what a teams are putting on jackets, they're putting on you know sombreros, they're putting on chains, whatever your team is, whatever your motivation is, and that's it, it's like a bounty. And I know for the Sox, when they were a winning team, and I've seen other teams do it in winning, those are the little things. When a coach praises you and says, good at bad, Iguchi, and everybody knew that Iguchi was an MVP, not because he was not hitting the most home runs. Everyone knew that the numbers that PK and Jermaine were putting was because of Iguchi. And PK and Jermaine let him know that every single day. And they gave him gifts, and, and you praise him. And, and, and that's, that's team chemistry. Team chemistry is not sitting around and everybody pretending to be friends and like you're like in like in a therapy and everybody just talking about your world problems and what we're gonna you know who we're gonna vote for in our next political race. That's not that's not. I'm being serious. Team chemistry is like I'm helping you make money. You're helping me win. You're helping me make money. That's that's the nature of the game. Can these guys get guys around them? And that's the part where I think Jose Abreu was not getting these guys. Jose, no, he was driving in 100 rounds without getting TA to score 100. <laughs> that will. I never thought about that. That's never hard. thought about that. That's hard. But did he ever have a conversation with TA and say, hey, man, like, I want you to score 100. Like, what do I need to – like, what, what can we do together? And TA's put great numbers. But that's – when we talk about chemistry and, and family and now the word is togetherness, that's the togetherness. Am I willing to give up one of my at-bats for you to be the hero? And that's where I think that this team's – key is what Pedro, I don't really care. Pedro, I don't think Pedro cares who the guy on the billboard is. I really don't. I think he's very low key on that. Um, I think he wants to be the guy on the billboard, which he should be because he's a skipper. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that say managers don't matter because they don't want managers to be up in the billboard or they don't want managers to take the credit because it's baseball. Why can it not be Pedro and let these guys take a, their egos aside and worry about winning? And playing the game. That's that's what I think is a big thing. And and I think King has been right on point with with uh, with Moncada on that. OJ, uh yeah, I mean say, I had uh, managers a... they uh, sorry, Mac, but people say managers don't mat- matter, but they just campaign to get my last one fired. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I mean, well, that's a Herb I, in the 108 tourney, the reason that I said that I could not vote Herb to win because of Herb Lawrence, I, and I quote, says managers don't matter. And that's a huge school of thought in baseball that managers don't matter and I can be managing the big leagues and I could still win 90 games the team was still good enough again even though I think I'm a great MLB the show and men's baseball league manager I don't really have that thought (laughs) I have to have men believe in me and and lead and again I don't think that I I would be a great skipper at the big league level I don't think I'm ready for it so I don't believe that I do believe that there, there are certain things in the level and there are certain things where there are previous managers where you could have blamed them for it, but Pedro Griffo can go blue in the face and have 7,000 drills. God, Ozzie Guillen went through it. You know, Ozzie managed teams that wouldn't do it. 
and you can go blue in the face, and that's when you start drinking more vodka and you lose less sleep. And Pedro will probably be mad at his grandson because his teams won't do it because players have to execute. So at what point yeah. are we going to have to have the players execute? That's a difference. And by the way, I'm going to be honest with you guys. If the White Sox think about beating anybody in the American League on the road to the World Series, it's not going to be out slugging them. It's going to be pitching well and producing runs. That's yep. the name of the game in the playoffs. You're not going to go out and be like slugging. And what you just said and I mean, there, Junior. I have this one thing I'd like to say about baseball, if y'all would let me. And it's yeah, kind of ahead, a radical idea. To me, the team that plays the cleanest baseball game wins. Majority of the time. Not all the time. And to me, everybody just focused on defensive errors. So in baseball, the only way an error is registered is normally on defense. But I look at the game of baseball a little different. I look at the game of baseball. If you have a guy on third and it's less than two outs and you didn't drive that guy in, that's an error. I look at it as if you have a guy on second and it's less than two outs and you didn't advance that guy to third, that's an error. And to me, all those errors add up, and that's what causes you to lose the game. But will they ever be registered in the scoring book as an error? No. And I'm not saying they should be. But I'm saying when you look at the game of baseball, you have to look at all those little details and that will tell you why a team either won the game or lost the game. But most fans don't pay attention to those intricate details. Yeah, fans like Jay. I, I completely agree. And, and Junior, this is what Mac is saying. Like, this is why Cleveland beat us last year. This is the type of baseball we weren't playing. Now, in saying so, I did not expect this Mankata talk to take freaking fucking 30 minutes. You know, right? <laughs> now, hold up. Now, the Blackout Show, every week, we're going to bring a fan on like we did with King Mac, and we're going to bring up a topic of the week. That topic for you know episode four, opening day, is going to be season predictions. So, the chat, I'm going to introduce you guys. What we're, we're going to give our season predictions of the standings on the White Sox and where they're going to end up in the division, as well as our bold predictions. I'll lead off, and I'm going to say, as far as season predictions go, I have the Sox going 89 and 73. And I believe they are going to take the division. And I just made that decision today because I was battling with it for all of spring, basically. But uh, I have them first in the division with a win total of 89 and lose total of 73 games. I wanted to go 88, but I'm terrible with predictions with even numbers. So I'm, I'm going to go with the odd number of 89. And I'll let you guys roll with your predictions for win totals uh so i got them at 88 because i don't have a fucking issue with even number win totals uh i do think we're gonna win the division um you guys just alluded to it the rotation is solid the bullpen is intact all we got to do is be normal offensively and we got this division in a sharpshooter Yeah, I've seen Dan Goodwin had a comment on that, so I'm going to use uh, his word that he think he created, delusion of grandeur. So because, oh, it's the White Sox, oh. because it's the White Sox, I'm going to have a little bit of delusion of grandeur, and I'm going to give him 86 victories. And I think, that's good. I think that's good enough to win the division, 86. So, man, this is going to be a hard one. So I'm stuck between 84 and 85. Um, 84 to 78, 162 games. So 85 wins. I, I really think that 
they they get beat out at the end uh, by by the by the tribe. I really do. Um, and you guys can have all the receipts you want later. Um, everybody knows how, how I've been on the tribe for a while, just because I think that the White Sox, I cannot pick them to win the division because they have not earned it. Okay, you need to earn it, earn it. Go there and grind. This is like the 2004 White Sox. We're better than we're better than the Twins, really. And they come and whoop you. We're better than the Tribe. We're better than Naylor. And they come in and whoop you. <laughs> when they come in and prove it, and the they point. work more, and they say, and, and I send, and, and I know that they're they're going for it and they can compete it. And they look that they look at their nemesis in the eye, the division, and they do it again, and they earn that like they did when they won 93 games with Tony. 93 games with Tony. I'll give them that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with 85 wins for the White Sox. Uh, I think that they 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 they'll get 85 wins. I don't think that that gives them enough to win the division, but it's going to be a good year for them. But I'm gonna go with 85. I wanted to go 84, 84, 85, but I'll give them the 85. Yeah. But they don't win the division. Go ahead, Justin. Uh, well, I, I just feel like he's lying to me right now. Like literally, like when you like when you verbally tell me the White Sox aren't winning division. Hawk Harrison Hawk, Hawk Hawk said Hawk said it on, on AJ's show, foul territory, the show, and AJ said AJ's lying or AJ's wrong, he said. By the way, if you haven't heard it, go listen to it. A great episode with Hawk on live and talking about White Sox. And I'm sure a lot of White Sox fans are gonna cry, but he even said it. So well, you know, this guy would have been in the booth and they kept him. So he's he's keeping it real. Again, you're 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 making a delusional pick and you can do it. But if I had to bet money on it, this is like when we're going into a heavyweight. They cannot win based on a decision. They're fighting Floyd Mayweather this year. They need to win by KO. So unless they come out and blow our expectations and win like 93, 94 games and surpass Tony and then they win the division and go into the playoffs with a 10-game lead then we'll say we're wrong. But I cannot pick in good They races. don't got to win 90 games to win this division. Okay. Well, they got to win 80. It's going to be the first division everyone with 75 games. Well, maybe Cleveland needs to set the bar higher. By the way, we're worried about Cleveland. You think Minnesota's going to be sitting around like, oh, we're not going to play good? Yeah, Minnesota's the biggest threat because they can help. We're, we're, we're pretending, and those teams are also based on health. So myself, I'm going to keep it. I'm surprised King Mac, again, he is a true White Sox fan. I'm just saying I'm keeping it real, and I hope that it it, it I hope for white I hope for my family. Say my dad gets to do more games. If there's a rumor of a World Series memorabilia, they're signing more money. We get to be people get to be watched more. We're more positive. I talk about stories when I was 21. This and is just so unbecoming, bro. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Everybody. It was hard for me to say that. It was hard for me to say that. It was hard. I know it was. I know it was. I'm gonna go with 85, and I was being positive because I really wanted to go with 84. But I'm going to one. I'm gonna give you the one game. You know that I'm gonna give you that extra game. That's why I said it was delusions of grand. So 82, 82 <laughs> so the bet that we were gonna have higher than eighty-two point five. That's that's an easy bet. You take the over. That's probably one of the easiest bets this year on a team going over under. Because if they go under, okay, if they go under, and King Mag's gonna back me on this, you blow this thing up. You, you I agree, everybody, and you go full Birmingham. You don't have to have a. I agree. Or anybody to come out and tell people that they're rebuilding. Your house was not good. Your foundation was horrible. We get it. Don't say anything. Trade pieces and bring the Birmingham project. You already have great footage. And just let Grafal start off from scratch. Because if this team cannot win more than 82.5 games and not even make a run for it, the, the problem is way deeper. And things need to completely yeah. change. So that's a whole I agree with you. 
But I don't think Han should be the one to reconstruct it. But I agree with you, it should be blown up. I th- I'm going to be honest with you right now, guys. I think Pedro Grafal, I already did say earlier in the show that he could be a better GM than GMs in the big leagues. I think that with what he's shown, I think that if, if this team does not produce the level that it's supposed to produce and it underperforms, you clean house upstairs, but you leave Pedro in and you have Pedro help you find your next general manager. Yep. You work together on that. But you need to clean house and say, because I think Pedro, I'm not, I don't want, and I'm sorry, I, I really am. People are going to get mad about this. Do not, I don't want this like Pedro and Rick Hahn at the hip. Like if you fire Pedro, you got to keep Rick and Rick and Pedro. Like Pedro came from a, a whole other world. He was raised by a whole other family. Mm. It was a blessing that somebody mentioned their name to him, to the White Sox, and that they interviewed him and they were like, wow. Okay, that was a blessing. He is 100% smarter than everyone in that that was there prior to him and his coaching staff because they have zero to do with anything that's been happening bad in the White Sox. Okay, zero. So for him to be blamed like like Tony Hammer, we, we keep blaming guys that have nothing to do with his organization for a long time and not blame the people there. So if this team loses, if this team only wins 72 games, I am not putting any of that on Pedro Grifol or his staff. I literally am not because – we we seen Ethan Katz win 93 games, then lose games. Players, pitchers actually develop and pitch well. So it's like, okay, the problem is not this group. The problem is elsewhere. So I do not want those guys attached at the hip at all. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I can agree with that. I don't think he should be attached to him. And you're, with saying that you're also going to have the cap flexibility in 24 to do so, if things fall apart, you can all, you know, just start over. Like, I completely agree. All right, in this next turnaround here, guys, we're going to do our bold predictions for the season. And I'll start off again. We'll do the run-through again. Uh, I got two bold predictions, one for a hitter and one for a pitcher. Uh, my first one is going to be the hitter, and I believe from a bold prediction, Andrew Vaughn is yeah. going to make the All-Star game. Yeah, He's not going to be the starting first baseman, but he'll make the All-Star game as the first baseman. Hey. Hey, Mac, let me tell you something. That's big Opie to you. That's big Opie. Yeah, I got a lot of faith in Opie, man. Yeah, yeah faith in my boy Opie. And then my second bold prediction is going to be the pitcher. And uh, it's not just going to be one pitcher. It's going to be two pitchers. Both Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech are going to yeah. make the All-Star game as starting pitchers. Yeah. I think Lance Lynn will have a great season, but I just feel like Kopech's going to have a better first half to make the All-Star team in, ahead of him. Can he stay healthy? That's another question. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest, and I just want to say this first before I get my bold prediction. Like, I want to be able to enjoy Vaughn. I call him Opie, a.k.a. Opie. I want to be able to enjoy Vaughn. So, and I think one of the reasons people wasn't able to enjoy anything your Mankata did because it was a lot of overhyping of your Mankata. So please do not do the same thing to Andrew Vaughn. Please. Just let the kid play. Oh, star. And that way fans can enjoy what he does because what if he's never a 30 home run guy, which I don't think he would be. What if he's never a consistent 25 home run guy, which he might not be, but he adds value to your team. Why can't that be a successful player. Why do we have to put these players to the moon 
when they might not never reach those heights. So just please allow me to enjoy Opie and don't overhype him. But uh, with that being said, my bold prediction is Eloy will be in the MVP conversation, I believe. And my other bold prediction is uh, T.A. will probably bat somewhere around like 310, 315 this season and have a great season. I think T.A. is probably pissed and when he's pissed is good and I think he has a lot to prove in his mind. You know, he didn't like the way last year went. Those are my bold predictions. Okay. Uh, well, my first bold prediction is for the team. I think the White Sox are going to be top five in OPS in American League uh, mm. this year. Uh, I love the lineup construction. I love Andrew Benintendi batting three, being a double play buffer, being a, a guy that can move the line a little bit. He doesn't clog you in that spot. So I think there's going to be a lot of guys on base. There's going to be uh, a more post-up type of offense in the baseball world now with the pitch clock where managers are going to find players to put in the lineup to slow the game down. Benintendi does that. A lot of good patient at-bats. When uh, Grandal's going well, he's seeing a lot of pitches. Moncada, of course, that's Mr. Patience himself. So I, I look for the on-base percentage to skyrocket for the White Sox. Not necessarily the slugging percentage because we just don't have any naturally gifted sluggers on the roster. But I do have Well, yeah, guys. you do. Eloy, he's not. Yeah, not yeah that's one guy. Yeah. That's one guy. So one. Uh, I think the, the pitches per plate appearance is going to uh, really be a good weapon for Pedro Grafal in the lineup. And then the second one, is Aaron Bummer is back. Uh, I think a sub one whip, a sub uh, probably two, five ERA. And when you get a weapon like that from the left side out the pen, it's over. It's over. So uh, long story short, White Sox top five in OPS, Aaron Bummer back. Mm. Yeah, Aaron Bummer won his boat. But yeah. Mm. We so got we, Junior. So I think that my first bold prediction is that Ronaldo Lopez has more than 70 appearances. Okay. Mm. With 15 plus net hold saves. Damn. Uh, 70 yeah. No, 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 no. I'm talking to, I'm thinking he's going to throw more than 70 innings and he is going oh. to have the net hold save, not saves. I think that he'll be between five and 10 in saves, but I think that his ERA is going to be under three. Okay. And he is going to have more than 70 innings coming out of the pen at the end of the year, which again, it's a lot. I need to have like around 30 something. So that's my big one. I think that he's Ronaldo Lopez is going to have a, a phenomenal year. I think Oscar Coles is going to go deep at least 15 times. No. Um, I really do. I really think that Oscar Coles is going to come out and really go deep 15 times uh, to the, his development. Uh, I also think that Yoan Moncada will go deep again uh -oh. this year. So again, this is going to be better because of his numbers, but I do think that those both guys, and here's my other stat. I think that the White Sox are going to have at least three guys in their team with multiple double digit stolen base numbers. Mm. Rules. I think TA might steal 10. I think Moncada will steal 10. Um, I think Colas could steal 10 if he wanted to. Um, I think that Griffol's going to actually use a lot of running. So I really, I'm going to have a couple guys on the over on stolen bases, which is really low. Uh, I think at least three guys in double digits of steals is my prediction uh, 
for them um, in the for, for that one. So I think that I got Colas potentially again. I don't think he's going to win the Rookie of the Year, but he'll be a top. You know, he'll be a top five for sure. Um, he's going to go at least deep fifteen times. Um, and then the 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 again the other ones. I, it's going to be it's too easy to predict with C's and all that. But those those are my big ones. I think three players go uh, with the double digits on the steals. Ronaldo Lopez seventy plus appearances, um, and then Colas goes these fifteen times as well as Moncada. Hey Max, so you don't think Robert? You don't think Robert can get you double digits still? Yeah, I do if he plays the game. So my my my, my best bet would be Moncada, Robert, and Anderson. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I'm not even throwing Benetti in there, but again, three is two is a very low number. I, I for sure one will do it. Two, if they can get four, it'd be amazing. Uh, but if they can really go for it, and, and the other one, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this one out here. I think that uh, Eloy plays more than forty plus games in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, which people are not there. And then I'm going to give one to Grandal. I think Grandal catches more than 75 games behind the plate this year, um, which I think is a large number to a lot of people. But I think he is going to put himself in a situation where he might get paid by another team. But I got Grandal 75-plus games behind the plate. Uh, and, and this is funny. We're talking more about health than numbers because at this point, that's what players need to do uh, in order to to to, to stay uh, afloat. Uh, and – there's there's a there's a there's a picture that no one wants to talk about, and it's because uh, they got Clevenger and they got uh, Kopech, and again big big media guys and big names. But uh, Martin, the guy who pitched last year, uh, I think that you might see him at least uh, you know at least at least six starts during the year. Um, I really think that he's going to be a catalyst guy down the road. So I wanted to say ten, but that's a lot when I did the numbers. At least five starts from from him, uh, even if they're spot starts that could end up being huge for the team. Uh, if the, both guys stay healthy, if not, he will obviously pitch more. But those are my predictions on that. Uh, Mac, I got a question for you. Go ahead. Uh, do you need Twitter in your life? I mean, I'm be on Twitter, but I don't really care. I'm, I mean, Twitter. it was just a yes or no. You need Twitter in your life, Mac? I don't need it, no. Well, we need Twitter. In- <laughs> You know, Mac, all right, because you know I love Twitter. I'm addicted to it. It's my favorite social media. But on the blackout, we be seeing some wild stuff on here. And I'm going to get into this one right here. Now, this this tweet right here, Mac, from currently ecstatic Northwestern fan, a lone team Sox fan, whoever the hell that is, he sounded like Ken Woe when he uh, quote tweeted uh, Sox fan Mike. He said, "What White Sox opinion would have you like this? With all with a thousand daggers, get ready to get you chopped up." The man said he should have traded Andrew Vaughn for starting pitching and kept the Brayu. Hendricks contract was terrible. We lost the Chris Sale trade. You might believe that shit. Uh, James Shield trades was a good one, dud. And Tim Anderson ain't that good. How do you feel about that, Mac? Uh, I feel like he's probably in his mama basement with Fruity the Lone Draws on. <laughs> Tim Anderson isn't that good. Just kind of hit me in the face with that one, bro. Yeah, I mean, 
T.A. sometimes get disrespect, but if you ask me, T.A. is probably one of the most smartest hitters in the game. Now, does he have power, home run power? No, but he's a smart hitter. You know, this is this is a type of – this is the reason why I wanted the blackout is because I consistently doubt White Sox fans, and I bet that fan's like probably like less than – he was probably like either zero years old or two years old when the White Sox won. <laughs> had no clue. And he needs to go watch the last Comiskey to learn about White Sox history. He thinks he's he thinks he's a Yankees fan. I'm, I'm, I really honestly believe that. Like he really <laughs> has no effing clue what the city and the team hey, is. You can don't assume his fandom. He could be whatever oh. fan he wants. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying, though. I'm saying, I'm assuming he's a White Sox fan. But for the fact that you just went out there and and and, and you say TA isn't even that good, like if you believe that TA isn't that good, okay. And a lot of people think that the Guineans don't like TA, and like absolutely not at all. You think the guy keeps it real as it is? He's a great baseball player, okay. So regardless of if his stats compared to how many rings you get to brag to your friends about, have nothing to do with one another. The second part. Abreu, okay, brought you zero rings, okay, zero. I know you wanted to build him a statue, and he was the guy, and, you know, retire his number. Like, they wanted him to retire his number at the moment because you have seen really bad baseball. He's a great player, one of the greatest White Sox to ever do it. He brought zero rings, zero, nada, okay? Give it – let the – let it be a, a better chance. If you really want to rerun this, the same old team at, out there, but just change the manager, like, are you that delusional of, like, what the team did? Like, do you really think that the same manager you thought was delusional won 93 games? So what happened to the 93-win season versus the team that wasn't good? <laughs> but, like, you hate the manager, but you like the 93 so You want to keep the same roster – it's the future. And again, that's the type of comments of the Chris Sale. Like, how old were you when you saw Chris Sale pitch? <laughs> they had to move from. Like, you weren't even close to winning anything. Yeah. There's a Twitter comments that you're like, there's a lot of smart people on Twitter and that give a lot of great information. This guy's not even good giving good content. Like, a lot of funny White Sox fans out there that are just making, like, really funny jokes. Like, this 108 turning, which is really uh, funny with, like, the content you know, and some of the stuff that people do. Then there's just, like, if you're out there and you literally want somebody to take your baseball opinion seriously, like, I hope that you're just out there just to try to troll people or get people mad. Because this is one of the worst baseball takes ever, including on the White Sox. That's, yeah. that's just unacceptable. And that's huge. Trey Vaughn for pitching, when you're pitching, is just But I'm saying, though, but for what pitching, though? Like, who do you think yeah. Andrew Vaughn's going to get you for pitching? Yeah, exactly. That fan has no idea. Like every general manager's out there is looking for pitching. You think he's going to go out there and the team that has the most pitching is on your division and they're not going to trade it to you. And your pitching is pretty solid. Yeah. And he needs to listen to the blackout. And what are you talking about pitching? Like, what is he going to get you? You think he's going to get you Matt Scherzer? Yeah. Probably, probably you could get you could get a guy like uh Troy Percival or Eric Gagne. He's an inexperienced, he's a prospect, so no one's good. Okay, that guy probably wanted Manea last year. He probably wanted the Sox to trade for Manea last year. Well, all due respect to Manea, he's a good arm. I, I'm thinking the Yankee fans are like, I, I don't think this is working out for us. 
So yeah. Vaughn was in the talks to getting Otani at the deadline, but at the same time, like going into this offseason, there's no trade really. I'm looking for them giving away Vaughn for a pitcher just because I've you got the positional player at first base that plays every day is going to give you more production and the chances to win than a Vaughn's pitcher that pitches once a week. Like, White Sox fans love sideshow freak seasons. Yeah. Big Allen year, they love acolytes. A guy threw a no-hitter, a guy threw a perfect game, a guy went deep 60 times. They love side freak shows more than they like winning. Yeah. How many rings does Otani have in – how many playoff appearances does Otani have with the Anaheim Angels? None. None. And he plays with Mike Trout. There's no two players in the White Sox today that are better than those two guys. So Otani's going to the White Sox, and he's just going to automatically take him to the playoffs. Can anybody explain to me what does not that good mean? I mean, does that mean you're a little good? I don't mean you're only good? an all-star. What is not that good? I don't understand. What no, Mac, 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 Mac before you go on the TA thing. You want a bad title. Now, hold on, Mac. Before you go on TA, let me finish again and going back to what I was saying also because this is essentially this whole Vaughn for pitcher. This is what the Twins just did. They just sent a rise out to Miami and bring back Pablo Lopez, who is their opening day pitcher. But you just sent your batting title, your guy that like TA that with the bad title he had for a pitcher – like it just makes no sense. But they'll be the twins, I guess. They'll be the twins. Pablo Lopez. But what do you think Andrew Vaughn's gonna get you? <laughs> this guy probably got taken by his mom to the store and the first baseball card that he opened up got him an Andrew Vaughn rookie card. And he thinks that Andrew Vaughn's going to be that his value's so high. And then there's like there's other prospects and markets out there. And he's a position player that if he can play 120 games, brings you value. You have to play the game with nine players on the field. So you cannot bring Otani just so you can buy a shirt that says Otani, and when he comes out to pitch, you're blacked out in the stadium screaming, Otani! Like, he shingles <laughs> mania. And, and it... Otani! You're, you're not going to win games like that. Anaheim is trying to trade Otani because they cannot win with him. <laughs> Okay, no. the WBC. The WBC was like 15 games. Okay. And let's be honest, White Sox not giving them 500 million. So. No, and why should they? Yeah. Our player has gotten that much money and paid off to give them rings. Okay. Yeah. You can build a great balance. So, would Rick Khan be a better general manager today if like, he had signed Bryce Harper but still had zero rings? No. No. What I'm saying though, but fans want to have like a receipt. So, rings and championships. And playoff appearances mean that. But people are like, 93 wins does not matter because we didn't win the ring. But yet you want to trade everybody on your best season. And you thought that the COVID year was the greatest team of all time. So it's just super confusing. And that's why I love that Twitter point because you can literally call it. By the way, that's not the last TA comment. Uh, you guys saw the, the ones that I sent you about Colas. The White Sox fans now want Colas and, and Pantera to throw the ball hard every single time they're throwing the ball in from the outfield. Because they're not allowed to lob it. Because now apparently Major League Baseball is a little league. And players, well, they had a showcase. That's what I mean. Right? Like, it, it, <laughs> that's just embarrassing. Like if, if you're if you're Johnny too hard and you're throwing the ball that hard every single time, it's because you're not that good. So again, the the TA not very good compared to who. It shows just complete lack of respect. Number one, number two, complete lack of knowledge of baseball. And if TA is getting not too very good. 
this guy not, then has no hope for the Chicago White Sox because TA, <laughs> TA could literally be the number one or number two player on the team now. Going yeah. Let's what does not that very good mean, though? I don't understand that. Is, does that mean he's somewhat good, not good at all? I don't understand. Well, here, Mac, I'm going I'm to I'm bring up – got, we got another tweet. This is the last tweet, and it's from your boy. This is from your boy. Hot take, getting rid of Hawk and getting Jason Benetti was the right move. What the fuck are you talking about? I could listen to – I could be on my deathbed right now, and if I had one wish, I would listen to – fucking Hawk Harrelson announce a game. That's my dying wish. I want to put it on the board one last fucking time. I don't want to talk about any stack cast merchants. I don't want to talk about all of the exit velo or anything. I would rather listen to Hawk Harrelson tell me a story about Ted Williams and call fucking Yastrzemski a thousand times before I see fucking exit velocity on my screen. It's bad enough I don't get White Sox games on WGN or w, uh, WCIU anymore. What is it going to take? When are we going to make the South Side great again? Getting Jason Benetti in the booth instead of Hawk Harrelson is not a fucking upgrade. Period. Well, it's know, a hard I, thing. I suspect, you know, when you slut yourself out on another podcast to only gain no extra views, that you will have a take like that. But, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest, that's a hard sell. Um, because I think Jason Benetti is actually a really good broadcaster. You're going up against a legend, which I can probably see him reading the yellow pages and I would listen. So I'm completely biased on, on a hawk. But here's the part, okay? On how alpha more is there's a there's a part of entertainment, okay? And there's a part of entertainment and truth. And Ozzy, and again, I can say because I am one of his oldest son as of as of now, as far as I know so far, for the last thirty nine years. Hey man, stop playing with senior man. Talk no, about I'm being you. honest. No, because dude, I, we've been seeing the Aussie hate already on Twitter from fans. Oh, we got to put up with this. Fans, White Sox fans want somebody to hold them and tell them that they have the greatest team and that everything is going to be all right and it's going to be beautiful and peachy every single day. And they don't want to listen to the truth, okay? They hate the truth. They, they, hate hate the truth. they want their storylines to be, to be uh, beautiful. They want to be their storylines to be politically correct. They mm -hmm. want to be woke. They want they want their stuff to be packaged. They want to walk on the beaches and clean they enough walk on the beaches. And they didn't want to talk about when Hawk was saying marbles and when he's saying off the wall stuff and when he grabbed his microphone and not talk for half an inning because he was so mad, you know, because that's the difference between that group because i'll tell you this much right now fans want accountability you know who would go on the team playing and let guys know that they weren't playing very well and hawk, hawk harrelson other other broadcasters can't say that jason benetti is a great broadcaster i would have loved to see jason and hawk actually do a game together it would have been it would be awesome um and again broadcasting extremely hard but that take of saying that was the greatest move ever we don't know because unless Jason's here for the next 50 years, I'll tell you, he's a great broadcaster. But I think that that take right there is because I think that that element of truth and realness that was brought with that old school one, fans don't want to hear nowadays. And that's just the reality of it. Um, I, I kind of live both. Um, and I enjoy the broadcast now. I really do. But it's more of a gun hope, be happy, 
um, that's what they're selling. And 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 opposite yeah. of that guy, uh, uh, again, and that's something that might be hard for fans to listen to. To me, Jason Benetti doesn't have the passion that Hulk has. He also don't have the insight to the game that Hulk has. And I'm going to be honest. I only can listen about exit velo so many times. Like it can't be every inning you're talking about exit velo. Like I yeah, mean, we get it. you know what teams talk about exit velos? Teams that don't win and don't go deep. <laughs> That's like saying like, oh, I did okay. I got a C. Who cares about exit velo unless it goes over the park? We're not here to development. You want to talk about exit velo? Go to the Birmingham project. I want to see a lot Thank of exit velo down there. Right now, if Colas is the ball at 75 miles per hour and it goes over the fence, that's all should matter. What's the point of your exit velo and you got an out with a pop-up to center field and didn't move the runner over, but you did a, hit a little dribbler at four miles per hour? And Ozzie Guillen is hated for it when he says, I really don't care about exit velo, okay? Because Pedro Grafal, guys, believe it or not, even though he tells you about vertical and X's and changes, he's not there saying, oh, man, we had a great game. 25 guys hit the ball 99.9 miles per hour, but none of them were a great out. That's the difference. And that's what White Sox fans don't want to hear, especially the ones on Nerdcast. Yeah, and it's the and it's the same fan base that got mad at Frank Thomas because he said RBIs matter. <laughs> so this is what you're dealing with. Man, it's crazy. It's crazy. And no, Mac, this is not Mayor Daly. This is Southside Daily. <laughs> Gonzo, what you got for me? And he's fucking muted. You know what? I'm done with you people. (laughs) Yes, this is Southside Daily. This beautiful segment of ours throughout the whole season. We're going to go over the upcoming schedule. This week, we got five games total from Thursday through Monday. And we'll be back for episode five starting Tuesday night. But in those five games, we got four games on the road Thursday through Sunday at Houston, and those four games, the pitching rotation is going to be for us, Cease, Lynn, Geo, Clevenger, in order. Mm. Now, Houston hasn't, I haven't seen yet. Maybe they did post it since we were on the show what their rotation is going to be. But my guess is, well, I think they posted Valdez, um, but they didn't post anybody after Valdez. But I think it's going to be Valdez, McCullers Jr., Javier as their three, and your Quiddy as their four, and then probably Luis Garcia as their five. But I just think we're going to see Valdez, McCullers, Javier, your Quiddy in those four games. Um, so that's what game one with Cease and Valdez, that's going to be one hell of a matchup. Both those guys were in the Cy Young race last year. And I think at like one point, Valdez had like 27 straight quality starts, I think, or something crazy like that. Guy is a up-and-coming star as a lefty. Um, that's going to be a great matchup. Um, and, and, like, offensive players-wise, yes, we're going to see Jose Abreu. Um, he'll be back. We're going to get that out of the way on the road. And then I think they come uh, to the guaranteed rate in May. So we get all that shit done out of the way with Jose. But I know it's going to be a good time seeing Jose. It's going to be rough seeing him in the other team, but we, we'll deal with it. Um, other guys look out for... 
of course, you got Alvarez. Guy's just a beast. So a dog. He's he's a dog to keep your eye on. And then you got Pena at short and Tucker and the outfield. Um, but guys, what do you guys? What do you guys like? Hey, you skipped over Alex Bregman. Yeah, that I left him up for you, Mac. Come on, what, yeah, what okay. do you want to? What do you want to tell me about what you're seeing with the pitching hitting going up in these matchups this weekend? Uh, I think what Ozzy said earlier though was right. I think even if they throw the lefty, that uh, Coley should start. I think it should be the opening day right fielder, or whatever the case may be. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. I'm actually looking for Colis to have a, a good series. Uh, I think if the White Sox get a split, I'm cool with that. As a matter of fact, that that should be the goal to me as far as White Sox fans being happy. And uh, seeing how Jose look in the, in the Astros uniform, you know, how, how different he makes that team look as far as the lineup. And Alex Bregman is always fun to watch to me because that guy just a dog. You know, I like the way he plays. Uh, OJ, you got anything with this upcoming series? Probably get the fifth for them. Yeah, so you got a Brave hitting fifth. Uh, I'm gonna go on a limb and say that Jose Abreu does not get a hit off Dylan C's. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna say that right off the bat. Uh, somebody, but he's not getting a hit off of C's. Um, I think that you know, you, you gotta you, again, everyone's thinking Jordan Alvarez. I think that for the key is keeping the runners off the bases for uh for the pitching staff on with Houston when, when Houston has, you know, runners on, they're very dangerous. So, you know, there's going to be damage. Let it happen with nobody on bases. Uh, other lineup is definitely after the sixth spot, you, you could definitely, you know, battle it, but you can't walk, you know, Martin Maldonado and Jake Myers, and then, you know, come face paint with two guys on. So um, just be, be competitive and stay in. You got to stay out of the beginning. Uh, I think the deceased game, uh, I can see him winning it. I can see him leaving with no decision. I, I don't think – I don't have C's losing the game. I really don't. Um, I don't see C's losing the game. Um, I think he gets a quality start, actually, um, and, and sets his pace for, for a Cy Young season. I got him at, at five-plus strikeouts uh, versus, uh, obviously, the Astros, which, again, a quality start first time out uh, coming off of camp. You know, it's it's kind of uh, – you know, you're trying to be as, as – that's a, it's something hard to do, you know. They're going to be watching his pitch count, obviously, and whatnot. But I, I think that he's going to have a good start. So for me, uh, the Kyle Tucker is is a is is a guy that scares me with with that team again. And the runners on. Um, I think if the White Sox take two out of two games out of the series, uh, it could happen in any game. I, I think that the Astros again are trying to find themselves coming off that World Series. You, you can't really play for what they did last year. But if you take two games out of it, uh, it's it's a good win. But they have to have the mentality of going in and taking the series. But um, you, you gotta you can't get swept. That's the mentality, and and be able to carry it over. Uh, but I really really think that you know it's a it's it's, it's great because they get to jump right in uh, right from the start uh, against them. So I got them splitting. Um, I think they can go two and two uh, early on. You want to see a team that's like the Astros because they might not be clicking on all cylinders. Um, great point. So great point. I, I can see them splitting uh, everyone trying to find themselves. Uh, but from a White Sox standpoint, I see Oscar Colas getting his first big league heat uh, for sure. Uh, and, and I see Eloy Jimenez going deep in that series as well. I, I, I got Eloy for one home run in one of the games. So, uh, and I, I think Tim Anderson uh, at least 
you know, two knocks in the series as well. So those are the guys that I'm looking at from a flash standpoint. And you need those guys to hit in order for you to, um, you know, win. And, and again, Pedro Grafal would get his first White Sox victory as a, as a skipper in that series. So two and two, I see the series split. Yeah, I see a, a series split as well. I agree with that, but I do agree with you too that it's going to be a, it's going to come down to the bullpen because, as well as Cease is going to do, I really think that Valdez. It just seems like watching the Sox not only in person versus Blake Snell, but on TV versus um, Robbie Ray. That the lefties, I know it's just spring training, but the lefties were giving them problems with those starters that were in the lineup. So. Um, it's going to be interesting, definitely, watch, seeing how Valdez and how they do against him. They should be pumped, man. They should be pumped. They got, yeah. you know, they're going to be facing the one of the legends of the game of baseball, Dusty Baker. And I know Dusty Baker wants to add another name to his lineup of victims as managers. So you got one of the newest managers in the game against one of the oldest managers in the game. So um, it's a pride thing. And I know that Grafal, that first win, uh, is a special one. Um, so, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be emotional. I think it's a, you know, it, it's going to be kind of cool for the White Sox to see the ceremony with the ring and all that and, and what they could potentially be a part of that sometimes, you know, gets guys pumped up and ready to go. Uh, but I definitely see the split. Yeah. I just hope Colas get his first knockout the way it's well, he will. I, I got Colas getting the hit. Uh, I got Colas coming out with his first knock out of the game for sure. I'd definitely be doing that. Who do you think is going to hit that first home run? Uh, Eloy. I go with Eloy too. Yeah. I think Eloy. I think that Eloy. Um, I think Eloy or Grandal. I think depending on where they 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 hit him, I think Grandal is somebody that's going to either go deep or 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 a K or run. Um, which again, the K's are not going to be a lot, but I think that he's had a great spring, swing the bat well. But I think Eloy coming playing from the baseball classic, he's been playing competitive ball. I think he's ready. He's probably one of the most ready players uh, on all cylinders, um, ready to go. So I think projection-wise and whatnot, healthy Eloy, he's probably the one that goes deep. Um, against, again, I can see him going deep of any of these starters with no problem. So, For me, I'm going to go with um, – I'm going to go with Luis Robert. I think he's going to surprise me versus, versus the lefty. Um, uh, what do you think, Jay? Yeah, I was going to say, if Framber Valdez don't start the game off with a curveball, Tim Anderson is going deep on the first pitch of the game. I feel like we're at a point. That's a great bet. That's a great bet. If you're trying to see dead, if you're trying to see first pitch fastball, why not attack it? And again, the, I think I think that the advantage that Grafal has against Houston is that it's his first game in the big leagues. They have only spring training stats, so Dusty doesn't know you know, tendencies. So if, if TA gets honest, TA going, okay, you got the new rules. Okay. You got the pitch clock, you know, Valdez has been a little slow to the mound. Yeah. Um, I think that if they, if, if the, the, they got the same strategy of like, we can't get guys runners on because if you get two guys on and they can score one, you know, the bullpen's good. So it's going to be a game of keeping the guys off, but I can see Pedro Grafal early on. I think one of his big, big advantages is, Play the element of surprise and, and don't play the book by the, you know, the the, the nerds upstairs saying, hey, do this and do that. And this is what the stats say. I think if he move, moves the runners and, you know, plays a little bit of that fresh old school or school baseball and puts guys to run and put some pressure on them, I think is, is going to be a, a, a bigger advantage for the Sox. And also, I'm going to say this right off the bat, four games. If you can run a Martin Maldonado, 
You can run on anybody. You can run on anybody in this league. And put it this way. If you run the first day, if you run your first series, there's 30 other scouts, 15, because they're not doing the National League. There's probably 15 scouts watching your team that are saying, oh, my God, the White Sox run. Guess what? Put the league on notice. No, they start throwing a lot of first pitch fastballs. Yeah, and then jump on them. So the element of changing the game of running, maybe statistic wise, it doesn't give you a better chance of winning. But when it comes to pitch selection and calling the game, it gives the hitter an advantage when there is somebody in a scoring position or somebody that potentially could run. And the throw over rule is going to be huge. So I know fans thought that I was going to go sweep or that you know the Sox are going to get lose the series. I'm going to split. Yeah, you would have picked Cleveland to sweep. I'll tell you that much. Against the White Sox? I don't know about a No, sweep. against Houston. No, 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 no. Come on, man. I'm realistic. Houston's the go daddy. Houston's getting the, hey, Bobby, Houston's getting the ring ring. For this year, until the season starts, Dusty can go out there with his Dusty gloves oh and enjoy himself as much as possible because, hey, he deserves it. So He does. He, he deserves he does. it. He does. He's earned it. This is the thing. Dusty has earned it. The Houston Astros have earned it. So the White Sox, just like Cleveland, they need to go there and earn it. So I can't say that just because I think that Cleveland is good, they're going to go out there and sweep or any. I wouldn't have anybody sweeping the Astros sweeping on any – anybody sweeping the Astros in the first game of – first series of the year. No. I do uh, agree with you. I, I really want to see a, aggressive base running early on, set the momentum, start playing. Is that what they're going to call it? Pedro's game? <laughs> Are you guys ready for the Go Go White Sox songs in the stadium? Go Go White Sox! And da, 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 da. You guys ready for that? No, no. I'm I'm excited when we go together. Hopefully, well, hopefully later, you're, later in April. Hopefully, you're in first place for you guys to see. Yeah. <laughs> now, all right. So that's the weekend. Monday, the home opener. That's the last game of the week for us. Um, Kopech's going to be starting it. Um, yeah. Now, again, for San Fran, we don't know yet, but it looks like the rotation is going to be Webb, Manea, Stripling, Discofani, Alex Wood. Maybe Wood. Maybe we see Wood versus Kopech, someone of that nature. Um, the hitters, they added Hanniger, so that's a righty to watch out for in that lineup. Um, I like the kid, the lefty, Ustremski, out there in the outfield. You talking about the kid? Uh, He's like 31. <laughs> He's always hey, going to be the kid. His grandfather's. Hey, Gassy. Me and me and Hawk want to see and hear a lot of Stremski. All right, J- Justin. So yeah, Carl, not Mike. I hope <laughs> I hope I hope Benetti just goes like on a full Stremski like four innings just to drive Sox crazy. Um, I hope he really does that because Jason's a really great guy. But you know what? I think that this is the big bullpen day for the White Sox. Okay, I think Michael. Uh, Hopefully that the bullpen doesn't get taxed and the starting pitching does the job in Houston with the split. But I really like this, this right here. I, this is a big game for Ruiz. I can see Kopech going, you know, four to five innings, not, not a bad outing because obviously he's on a pitch count. So unless his pitch, pitch, pitch count is very low, but I can see the Ruiz coming in and, and this is going to be the first game that we see the White Sox on, um, on like what they would look like on a bullpen day, like, when the bullpen has to come in early. And I I got the White Sox winning that first game against the Giants uh, 
with either Kopech or Clevenger going in that game. So I, I definitely got them on that one uh, for the win at home. Fans are pumped. You know, stadium's packed. Probably one of the only games till like June when they play the Cubs. But that's all the different conversation. But um, it's going to be pumping, and I think Kopech is going to like it. And, and it's going to be fun. Opening days are always fun, and I can see them winning that one. And in that game, uh, I could, that's a great game for Oscar Colas to go deep for the first time in a white side. Mm. Uh, if he do that, I'm going wild. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you guys got anything else? No, thanks. So. I got two t- I got two tickets for opening day. Not sure if I'm gonna go yet. Uh you better be there. Why why do I better be there? Because we're doing a fucking podcast about the team you got opening day tickets to. I can I can I can have great content for or you can go to the opening day. I can do great content from my basement if I wanted to. <sighs> Bro, I've been on opening day the first time my father was a world a manager. What are I you? The coaches, son? <laughs> By the way, I was on an opening day when uh, when the White Sox got their rings. I've been to many opening days. I've been opening days when Bo Jackson went deep. I've been to many opening days. The so opening days is always fun, but no, honestly, if if I dude, it's a it's a it's a work day. Number one, number two, though, uh, I, I might go. I'm not gonna lie. I like the VIP treatment. Like if you go with NBC and they have to do something from the stadium, you know, I do tag along, so that's kind of cool. You know, they get like a suite and all, so I'm not. That's the cool part because Ozzy's doing it. So we'll see how that goes. Um, or maybe go like beginning of the game and then go to the studio. But we'll figure it out. But uh, but I'll let you know. Yeah. These losers then got me all hot and bothered with some of this Hawk slander. Well, guess what? I got some Hawk history. How about we do some pick to clicks, Gonzo? <laughs> Yes, and this is going to be our weekly pick to click, and I will be um, definitely writing down, keeping keeping the receipts on who's going to be winning every week for our picks to click. Um, I'll be definitely keeping this in check, chat, but with Slav on vacation, we're going to have King Mac make a pick for him, and uh, I'll let I'll let uh, I'll let Junior start off, and we'll do Junior Mac. And then me and Justin. Oh, so I'll let like, Justin go. I'll go last. So, so, like, this means, like, all your stats combined, like, whoever has the best week wins the pick to click in honor yes. of Carlson. You know what, man? Uh, I, I've, I didn't go crazy on him on my fantasy. I, I was smart. I didn't, I didn't jump off the bridge and took him early like I did for the last, like, three years. I'm, I'm going to – I think that Moncada is going to – I'm going to go with Moncada. I'm going to go wild week one. I'm going to wild out. I'm going to shock the world. And even though I just said that Cole is going to get his first hit, that Elo is going to go deep first, I really am going to go with, with John Moncada on my pick the click for week one. Okay. Wow. Just fucking wow. I'm just going to when you, when you when you have the – when the twin when, – when you know that the tribe is so well prepared going in, you can live life on the edge. I'm going to take the long shot and go with uh, Oscar Cole's action. He's going to have a big first week. 
Damn. Wow. Like, I, to be honest with you, first of all, OJ took my fucking guy. And then Mac follow it up like, I'm just going to take the long shot Oscar Colas. Leave it to you. He's the best cook, best thing since sugar and grits. But he's going to have more home runs than Yohan Mankata this year. That's one of my things. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Yasmani Grandal. Like, I like what I see. Come on. This That's a good spring. one. Uh, he, he looks a little lighter, healthier, like we talked about earlier. I just uh, love the fact that the shift is gone. And for a guy like Yasmani Grandal, he's going to get a lot of cheap base hits, flipping the ball right over the shortstop's head, hooking the ball right over the second baseman's head. So I believe he's going to take advantage of all the new real estate 150 to 200 feet away from home plate. Damn. I didn't really. Gonzo's confused. He doesn't know if it's C's or if it's Yvonne. Like, he's so confused. <laughs> By the no. way, I did not drop it goes deeper more than Vaughn. It would just be hey, you know that meme where a dude has to press the so sweat like I'm fucking sweating right now because you guys left Eloy, Timmy. How the hell did Mac not pick Timmy? Yeah. Oh my lord. I okay. believe in Cole. No, you can't have the same player back to back weeks, by the way. I like that. That's a good. Is, that, is that a rule? Oh, so we gonna... gotta have rules. So if you pick, yeah. let's say you picked Eloy and you won that week, you can't have Eloy the next week. Let's say the best player of the week for that week with the White Sox was Romy Gonzalez. The next week, nobody can pick Romy. Wait, I actually agree with that. So okay, so yeah. not only the person that won can't go back to back with that, but like no one else can pick that player. He's off the table. He's off the table. He's off the table. Okay. No, he, he, but even no, not only that play, not not that player that won it amongst ourselves. Meaning, if somebody won it amongst ourselves, somebody else can take him. I'm talking about like on the team roster. So let's say the whole week, you know, the the, the best player of the week was you know, TA that week. Then that next week, you nobody can pick TA. That, get what I'm saying? That's I like that rule. Yeah, because that way, again, if you do the if you mathematically do this. I just think every other week, Eloy or TA, and my chances of winning this at the end are going to be that much more. Bro, we, I swear I, I swear to God, we did this with BGR uh, last year, and I, Mac only picked Tim Anderson and Luis Robert. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why he fluctuates between just those two guys. Yeah, but if you but if you if you have a strategy and you do win that week, you just can't have them the next week. But again, that 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 gives you some incentive of like, okay, maybe I, I go this week with pitching because it is a weaker roster. And you know, let's say let's say we're gonna go up against beautiful Detroit Tigers that week. All three of us might pick starting pitching because it is a weaker week, and we think that the you know you're just gonna completely dominate on the pitching end. Um, and then we'll find different ways to 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 find tiebreakers on, you know quality outs and stuff like that you know uh, was it you know the, your, your four outs that you made were they better quality outs than the guy who had the same amount of outs but they were like with runner on third base with less than two outs you know so we we're gonna do a little bit more of a of a grind this year on like how we're looking at stats since we have the blackout show we're gonna keep keep people real uh and then when you do have a loss was it a good loss or a bad loss? You're going to lose 40 games, guys. That's the reality of it. Probably 10 of them to the to the tribe already. That's guaranteed. So, <laughs> see 40 to the tribe. 
That and least, what is wrong with this dude? I'm just saying that at least just leaves the rest of the season to like really be fought out. So again, you can still find wins and losses, and that's what we're here to do. Okay. So well, like uh, according to your rules, Ozzy Jr., basically I'll never have a chance to pick Yohan Moncada because he's gonna be an MVP candidate. Pretty so, much. Pretty I much. I don't like this game at all. Well, it gives you a chance to root for other players not named Yohan Moncada. I hope Romy Gonzalez do well. Huh? You always got Oscar Colas, man. Yeah. No, you so, got Oscar Colas. I've won the last two years to pick to click. And, like, there were times where I would go back to back. But then there's times where, like, that same pick that, you know, you think I'd go back to back on, I would predict, like, that next player of that week that would go and take it. So you can go back and forth on that, on the momentum. Um, I'm going to go Andrew Vaughn. Another surprise. Real, real shocker. Yeah, yeah. It was really down to uh, – I was thinking. I'm going to throw a wild card here. Andrew Vaughn, no, that's your guy, man. That's your guy. I cannot wait to see Andrew and take a selfie with him in his crazy eyes and send it to you and say, you know, give a, give a big hug to my guy Gonzo because he is your number one believer, um, probably more than your family itself. Um, he's probably going to laugh, but, um, but that's awesome. No, but I want to add a, a third crazy part, okay? This week, week one, the guy that cannot beat you, okay? If Chaz McCormick goes deep in the eighth inning and you lost because Chaz McCormick went deep, it happens. It's baseball. You lose. But if Jordan Alvarez hits a double with second with first base open, okay, because you were scared of facing a Brave and you lose, that's not a good win. So my, like, I'm looking at the Houston Astro, and obviously you play the most games against them. The only guy that needs to go hitless against the White Sox, the guy that cannot even – if he gets one walk, it's too many, is Jordan Alvarez. Like every week they need to find one player within the roster or pitching of like this guy cannot do anything against So us. you think – you want him to go 0 for 15 this week? If Jordan Alvarez goes 0 for 15, the chances of the White Sox winning that week is that much more higher of because you've played him well. So if you've got the tribe coming into town – and it's Jose Ramirez, it means that by no means you lose to Jose Ramirez. You let Naylor and Quan and the rest of the crew destroy you, but it's not going to be Jose Ramirez. So if we were in a clubhouse and we're like, the guy that cannot beat us is Jordan Alvarez. And that's why I think Jose Ramirez becomes that more dangerous in, in Houston because they'll never say the guy to beat us is going to be Jose Abreu. So that's the, I, I believe that um, – Jordan Alvarez is the, the guy that we they should not allow to beat. I mean, he is probably outside of Shohei Otani the best left-handed bat in the American League. So I'm, I would hope Pedro have him circled on his calendar because, like, I've, I, speaking of Jose Ramirez, there was a game last year where we lost two to one because Jose Ramirez hit a sacrifice fly in the sixth inning. Well, it happens. It's the tribe. I hate it. I hate it. Now, another thing, uh, besides weekly picks and clicks for this segment, we're going to go over some bets um, each week, whether it's matchups or players or whatnot. And uh, Junior's got a selected amount of bets that we're going to attack here. Give um, it, go away, Junior. Give it to us. Yeah, I'm going to give it to you real quick. 82.5 wins, bet the over. Um, we all picked it higher than that, so bet the over. Don't bet all your money on it, but 
you know, bet safely and always responsibly. I got Dylan going. I got Dylan C's going more than five strikeouts, so higher than five point five um, for the opening game and pitching. I also have that game under seven runs. Okay, yeah, but definitely under seven runs for the opening game. Um, and I am going to bet that uh, Eloy Jimenez. I will bet him every single game in the first five games that he goes deep at least once. So those are my bets. Weak and potential. I'm also going to put a small bet on manager Pedro Grifol because of my father saying that he might win the manager of the year. Because if, if the White Sox do win the division, Pedro will most likely be uh, the manager of the year. So those are kind of like a, a couple of White Sox kind of like long tosses from like betting standpoint. But for this week, Eloy, every night I'm going to bet home run and look at the odds. I'm going to bet uh, game one, 5.5, five or more strikeouts. Uh, under seven runs, game one. You know the the only thing I like I don't agree on is the uh, I think the I, I would take the Sox and the over for it's right now it's seven so I'm gonna go Sox with for the over. Over everything runs. Yeah, for a com a com- combination of seven. That's what I'm saying. So you're taking the yeah. run. So you're saying the total runs in game one of the of the series is going to go over seven runs. Yeah. yeah. I got it under seven. Yeah. So what you thinking, Gonzo? Eight to five leading White Sox way? That's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Okay. Because the run differential is at 1.5 right now. Ooh, okay, so that, that we got game one there, and again, I'm gonna. Uh, uh, I'm also gonna bet a lot of. Be- I'm not gonna say right now because I haven't seen lines, but steals uh, in in live, so I'll share it on my Twitter. Because uh, I, you know, if I see the lines on 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 stealing, because I definitely think guys are gonna be on the run. Uh, that's gonna be a big one. Um, but again, that's going to be one of the things I'm gonna be betting on as much. But I like the cease one, obviously. Uh, I haven't seen – I'm going to see the total outs. The odds are not out yet, but I'm going to put C's at uh, over 12 outs for sure easily. Um, if it's the line there, I'm probably going to take it on a parlay. Um, so I'll be sharing the live bets. But the biggest one, guys, go bet it. Uh, the, obviously, the Griffall one's a long shot. It'll be a fun bet to make. But as well as if you want to bet the White Sox winning the division, um, again, it's always fun to do it early in the season. Um, wherever you got winning the divisions. But from a White Sox standpoint, I do have the over on the 82.5 on the White Sox, the over. Our predictions do not mean anything on the betting standpoint. The line that comes directly from the books at 82.5, that's the one that you got to bet the over on the White Sox on 82.5 because if it doesn't hit, a bunch of people need to get fired. Uh, Junior, where do you see the Cy Young, American League Cy Young voting? Uh, so you can go on different odds. Yeah, BetMGM has um, mm-hmm. futures. Uh, anyone that futures, so you just have to find the book that has it. Uh, again, C's for a Cy Young guy came up runner up. You're probably getting good numbers right now since his name is not Verlander or Scherzer. Um, but he is one that's, you know, that you could definitely put, put some action on as well as Rookie of the Year with Colas. Uh, again, a rookie that's going to get a lot of playing time. It's not a bad bet um, if you're a Sox fan. Um, but we'll, we'll talk again. We got to find those books that have those over unders on potential stats for each player. But again, the 82.5 is the one that is a lock. All right, everyone. 
that for us is going to do it. Episode four, season one of the Blackout opening Let's day. Let's go. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And once again, hey, King Mac, thanks for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate thank- it. Uh, can I get a, give a couple of shout outs real quick? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I would like to give a shout out to Ray's uh, Juke Joint. Uh, during the season, they do have a, a, a scumbag chat where they, uh, you know, chat during the, the game. So if you're not at the game or something like that, tune in to Twitter. Uh, I'd like to give out a shout-out to the Three Kings. And also, uh, I would like to shout-out, of course, your very own BGR Bad Guy Radio, or you can call it Black Guy Radio, too, if you want. <laughs> Either way, it doesn't matter. Wait, um, I, I have a question. So it's called Scumbag Twitter? Scumbag... Uh, they do a scumbag chat or it's like space. a space. It's a scumbag space. It's a scumbag space, but so it's live during the game. Live yes. during the game. Yep. During the game. Yeah, I can I can listen to them and 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 chime in or just listen to while the game is going on. Yeah, you can so, listen to it and chime in. Yep. Absolutely. Well, there you guys got it. The scumbag space. Um that's awesome. Yeah, it'll it's usually at the top of your timeline. You'll see the spaces, and you just scroll through how many spaces you have on your people of your following, and you just hit scumbags, and then you can just yeah. Request. I can send you the invite, OJ. If yeah. You want to join us. Yeah, Justin can send you invite. You just gotta join the request. I, and I, be... I would join um, the first game of the series versus Cleveland. It probably won't be a good. It probably You'll won't get packed up. You you will get packed <laughs> up. I'll be able to listen, um, unless you want to see just people in pain, but. Again, it's going to. I, I love it. I think I love the input. I love to hear what you know fans are saying. Uh, and when I get what a what a wonderful name! Like that's an awesome name. So, listeners, go out there, listen to. We'll be in that space, listening in, sharing some thoughts. Hey Mac, do you want to give uh, any more shoutouts or even repping uh, BGR, oh, no, I, BGR I, I at all? I, I appreciate you guys. You know, for having me on your show, it was fun. Always nice uh, talking to you, uh, Ozzy Junior. We didn't. Of done course, it times, you know, so. of course, love it, love it. I love, and I put, I, I, I created the hashtag King Mac error. Uh, anytime somebody makes an error that is not an official error, but it's an error, it's a King Mac error. So I appreciate. Yes, yeah, you guys will know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, so you're just going to inflate this man's ego who's already uncontrollable he, he, on the internet. He created, he created it. Um, it was a great one. You wish you would have done it, Jay, so it, uh, you got many more chances. It's the it's intro <laughs> to the season. <laughs> you know what? Uh, before we go, Gonzo, I just want to remind people that you can catch OJ, Gonzo, and myself on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and even Google Podcasts. Uh, when you wake your ass up in the morning, catch us on YouTube on the Gian Grid. Indeed. And also, real quick, before I close it out, I'm going to give shout-outs to the, our our loyal chat. And Juan Diego, you're always in there. We appreciate you, man. Jason Spencer, you as well. I saw you pop in there. Um, yeah. We also like had, we had one of our other scumbags in there, Daniel Goodwin. Dan, we appreciate you joining in on the chat. Um and we that have, we're gonna have an outing. We're gonna have an outing in the summer for people that listen in consistently, trying to work something fun out. Uh, you know, 
maybe either get Ozzy Guillen or Paco Martin. I don't know who I can get to come Get out me of. off this show. Get me <laughs> off this show right now. Let me know ahead of time. Not fly out. I will. I will. Please. And, and, and Joe, I'll let you know about opening day. It's going to be fun. We'll, we'll definitely be uh, – thank you guys for listening. It was a good one. Yeah, everybody, we got a lot more to come. Um, catch us on episode five next Tuesday night at the same time, 10, 10.30 Central. And once again, from King Mac, Ozzy Jr., Justin, and myself, go White Sox. Let's, Let's take go. Care.